tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Morning and welcome to Tip Today. Alison here with you until 12 noon today. Coming up on this morning's show, another vicious dog attack in Tipperary leaves farmers devastated. Are speed camera vans merely a money-making exercise? Hospital overcrowding, of course, the issue that's dominating national headlines this morning. Amid warnings that patients will die, but what is being done by government? New Year and new financial resolutions with Frances O'Hanlon. She'll be live in studio with us just after 10 o'clock. Listeners respond to our latest Agony Ant letters. Gardy will keep us up to speed around Tipperary. We'll also have our latest Hidden Histories episode with Dr. Connor Reedy and an upcoming Nina exhibition on the unique history and culture of the Irish Debs. All that and more to come over the next three hours. Our phone lines are open. Emma is standing by 1800 Or you can text or WhatsApp us 083311. Double three, double one, and we'll be delighted to hear from you this morning. Now, kicking off this morning, a Tipperary councillor is questioning the location of some speed vans around the county. Councillor Richard Malloy raised the issue at a meeting of the Burke Council, claiming their positioning could be considered a money-making scheme. Since the 1st of November, the cost of a speeding fine has risen to €160, where previously it was €80 for a minor infringement. Councillor Richie Malloy joins me now for more. Richie, good morning. Good morning to you, Alison, and Happy New Year to you and all the listeners at Tip FM. And Happy New Year to you as well, Richie. Tell me about um, what what brought you to raising this issue at the Borough Council meeting. That's right, Alison. For, for the last couple of months, I've had a number of people answer me about the speed cameras operating within the Clamell area. And there's two particular uh, places that people, I suppose, are objecting to most of all. There's nearly always a speed camera now as you come in there on the Davis Road just before um, the old Barlow factory. Yeah, just, just, just below just Dunn's. Just below Dunn's door. And there's that one there, and there's another one there nearly always parked there on the Cashel Road, as you come off the Cashel Road roundabout heading in to the town centre before the railway gates. Mm. And the point that I was trying to raise at the borough meeting was that originally when the speeds vans were brought in, they were only supposed to operate wherever there was accidents, black spots. You know, and we'd all accept that, you know, in certain areas you have to curtail the speeds. And when I brought it up originally, the engineer had checked. And the way it normally works is if there was an accident black spot or a place where there was a lot, a lot of accidents, the council would inform the local superintendent who would go on to the go-safe company and then a speed van might be told to operate in that area Mm. for a certain period. But, you know, to my recollection and certainly to most of the members and the engineer, there's never been accidents there at the Cashel Road one nor at the Davis Road. And at €160 a pound, not to mention the three penalty points, it would seem to be like totally, you know, 
just to raise money for the company, the private company. And another area, Richie, I, I'm sure has been mentioned to you as well, is along the bypass by the race course. It's there an awful lot. And that one is like shooting fish in a barrel because I know uh, the speed limit is 60, but... Absolutely. And even that particular place you mentioned, Ali, you know, it's just there, as you say, on the bypass there, away from the Chip FM studio. Yeah. You'd often really even question the 60 kilometre an hour speed limit there. You know, it's, it's a fairly, it's like almost like a dual carriageway as people come in to Clanmel. And you, what I'm, my point really to at the meetings is that we'll take, take Clareham, when you go through the village of Clareham, yeah. there has been a lot of accidents there at the crossroads, Darcy's Cross, I think is the name. But mm. you could appreciate the speed van being there, or maybe on the Bancher Road there as you kind of come out of Bancher heading to Tipperary Town, you know, a lot of, lot of serious bends there and you, obviously you want traffic to be slow but in the what I'm wondering even Ali, if it's possible that Tip FM would conduct a poll just to know what do the majority of listeners think do they feel they're a necessary evil or are they really just there you know when a private company takes on these contracts I mean it's all about the money of course would be my opinion yeah and they'll put them wherever they're most likely to, to, to raise money and definitely I think more simple than I've done my own poll through Facebook would, I'd say, 95% of the people that participated in my own poll were of the opinion that they really are just a money-making machine for, for private companies. And I would question if there's any need for them at all. I mean, I know they're to take over the work of, of Garthi doing speed checks, but Garthi are still doing speed checks anyway. So are we kind of getting doubly hit? Absolutely. My my real belief would be that if you put more resources into the graph, the Garda traffic core, it will be money well spent. And at the same time, if a guard stops somebody from speed, there's some bit of discretion. You know, if there yeah. was a particular reason. Whereas with the machine, you know, it's a faceless machine. There is no leeway. For, like I had one motorist come out to me. He was doing 53 in a 50. That triggered the camera. You know, then you had three penalty points and a fine. And did they get done for that? They got done for 53. Did that particular money? And you know, you'd be, there's often a perception there's some sort of a leeway, but in his case anyway, it was 53. And, you know, the summons arrived or the ticket arrived in the post. I I must say it's the most efficient system as regards letters coming out. Apparently you'll get the letter within a couple of days, Mm. you know, indicating the pints. And and the fact that the fines have been doubled is a big impact. So what I'm hoping, I've written to the Minister for Transport is in charge of that particular company, you know, querying that there should be more thought put into where they actually put the speed vans if they're going to continue on with the company. And we'll just see where that goes. And it, but if a poll was conducted by TIPFM this morning, I would be interested in the results because to strengthen our argument, you know, are they really just put in places that are really not accident uh, black spots? Well, just um, having a quick look at the text, most of them agreeing with you. One listener, though, is saying, um, would you give out, Richie, if the van is moved and then speeding takes place and an accident happens and somebody is hurt? Maybe they're a necessary evil. I mean, my own belief is that that you could not really say there, especially on the cash road, as you're you're coming off the cash road round the bus. I couldn't see that being... And really, there isn't a speed issue there. You know, I, I live in the area myself and I could really say cars. But what's a far better thing are those solar panels that are 
in certain areas. You know where they'd indicate that you're gone over the 50. It kind of slashes up, you know, across some green terrain. Yeah. And most motorists, they'll see that, they will slow down straight away, you know, without any fines. So you'd like incurred. to see more of those incorporated? More of those, I yeah. think. And definitely there's been great feedback wherever they've been put up. There had been a problem there with batteries in that they seem to be out of action a lot of the times where they're put up. But I'm going to press the council again to erect more of those type just to indicate to people that you're gone over the limit. You know, in built-up areas, I'd, you know, we'd accept it should only be 50. But there are certain roads like the N24 there, the race course, you really would question a 60 kilometre an hour limit there. Yeah. It's too low, in my opinion, as you come in as you come in on the bypass. Yeah, I agree with you. Can I ask you as well, Richie, what reaction did you get from your fellow councillors on it? No, I must say it was almost unanimous. And even when it was circulated, I had a number of councillors come on to me there from Cork even, who would be of the same opinion, that because it's been privatised, the whole speed camera business, that the perception by the public at large will be they're just simply a money-making machine. It's like, it's like clamping companies. You yeah. know, when, when a private company takes on those, I mean, their aim there is to clamp as many as possible, the same as the speeds. But you really wonder, does it um, educate people, I suppose, as such? For I think the solar panels would be a much better way of going about it. Or what do you think about this idea? I know it, it's been piloted in up in Bird Hill at the moment. It's this idea of having a tracking system where you can um, calculate the speed of a vehicle by Over the time it takes to, to pass certain points. Yeah, would you like yeah, to see something like that? I can like that? see that idea, yeah, because I was up there recently there. And I, and I mean, in fairness, there is a lot of science there warning that this system is in progress on that particular stretch of road. And my feeling is there has been a number of accidents up there. So, you know, you could see the justification mm. for that. And it's not just one particular point because it's so easy when you're driving to go from 50 to 55, for example. Yeah. I mean, a tiny touch of the pedal and you're at 55. And the fact that that's where the, graph, the Garda traffic core comes into play, I really think that, um, you know, they have that bit of discretion. If there is a genuine reason for the speeds, so be it. Whereas the machines, it's like, I suppose, you know, when you look at the banking sector, we're going so, so much into automation that you're taking out the human elements all the time. And the speed, the speed vans are another example of that. Now, um, one text we got in, Eamon, he's in Birmingham. He says, if it says 60, then you do 60. You shouldn't be breaking the law and not feeding the private company. It's easy. Just keep within the speed limit. I could accept what he's saying there, but at the same time, I'd be arguing that it's so, so easy to go between 50 to 55. It's actually often a thing that's in my mind. It, the perceptions, I think the Irish people always like a bit of leeway yeah. in things, whereas I often find, you know, in England it's very black and white, but I think, you know, in Ireland it's often more of a grey a gray area. And yeah. 50 to 55, there's very, very little in it. Okay, well... So I, We'd like to ask listeners then this morning, I think the majority so far, um, I'd say 70% are saying it is a bit of a money spinner, but we'd love to get your views on it. 083 that's text or WhatsApp. Richie, could I also ask you about the big story in the news today? And that's, of course, the, the hospital overcrowding. I know this is something that, that's greatly affecting you and your members and Family Carers Ireland. What's your take on what's happening? 
That's right, Alison, there, because even there before Christmas, I was flagging up that the fact that the whole home respite area, you know, where people are trying to get home carers going in to relieve the principal care, has been under pressure for the last couple of years, really, at this stage. I mean, there's really a crisis in recruiting home care workers. Mm. And that, in turn, then, is and people are ending up going into A&E a lot more oftener than they'd ever need to be mm. because the principal carer, I suppose, in the home is totally burnt out. And until they do something about recruitment, it's the HSE are facing it, all the organisations, you know, such as ourselves and Family Carers Ireland, you have the Alzheimer's Society, all the various organisations are facing a crisis. Even the private operators are finding it hard to get home care workers. I suppose it's they're the lowest paid uh, people in the in the whole sector, you know, it's something yeah. like fifteen or sixteen euros an hour. And I heard on, the, on your bulletin there earlier on, you know, that visiting restrictions are coming in, and it's so hard then on families if they have a loved one in hospital that they can't visit due to the overcrowding. And I think yesterday wasn't it that just the biggest number of people on trolleys yeah, ever? Nine hundred, yeah, yeah. And you know, I often think back to when Mary Harney was the minister for health and I can't think of the figures at that time but they were saying you know this would never go past that and now you know it is almost double mm. those figures at this stage and I think a big big change will have to take back in the HSE and if you really want to keep people at home longer you must provide proper supports to the carer you know the carer's allowance as we're always saying means tested which makes it very difficult to get it yeah. And that, at least if you, if you had a proper structure of keeping people at home, and I mean by that, that decent kind of a home care package, something like 12 to 15 hours a week, not this thing of someone going in for three mornings of 30 minutes or 45 minutes. It's so small that the main care at home, the mom or the dad, is really up the walls all the other hours mm. of the day. And, the, you know, especially when a flu in the flu season like this, if the carer gets the flu, the whole thing kind of falls apart and then you put pressure inside in the hospital. Can I ask so, you uh, um, for your opinion on a theory? Now, this was a bit of a, you know, a, a bar stool theory that somebody gave me over Christmas, but they reckon, and I don't mean any disrespect to GPs when I ask this, <clears> but some people are saying that GPs are so afraid of legal action now that they're sending people to A&E just to cover themselves so that maybe some of this responsibility lies on GPs <laughs> sending people to hospital when they don't really need to go to hospital. Well, yeah, I could see an element of truth in that, Alison, because I suppose many, many years ago, you know, GPs would have carried out, they might have done a stitch, you know, if a person needs maybe a stitch or two, they would have done it in the GP surgery. But yeah. that doesn't really happen now. You're referred almost straight away to the A&E. And even to get hold of a GP over Christmas now, I had a number of people say it was very difficult. Obviously, the GPs were on leave and very difficult to get through to care doc and when you get through to care doc they almost seem to try to talk you out of not coming up yeah. to care doc there on the on the western road so people then are inclined to kind of say oh I'll just head straight to A&E but that puts terrific pressure then on the A&E services and, and it's, you know in the South South Tipperary one in particular it's so small in the A&E unit it hasn't changed in years so if there's any kind of a, a flu epidemic the place is jam-packed, uh, you know, the morning there, I, that there was a, the, the particular Saturday morning that there was a lot of uh, black ice all over the town. 
it was a particularly hard morning. Yeah. And so many people then headed up to A&E with sprains and twisted ankles and so on. That There's a lot to be said for a, a big GP service that you can go into the GP and maybe get, you know, if it's a very small thing, get a stitch. The public health nurses were another one back the years were able to do a lot of that work in the houses without dragging you in yeah. to the hospital. But it's because of the legalities, I suppose, and people are terrified that there'll be a claim put in. It's almost easier to send you straight to the A&E and you can see the results of it with the numbers yeah. on the trolleys at present. It's unfortunate. Certainly there needs to be a more unified approach in it. Richie, good to talk to you this morning. Happy Could I say one thing, just to mention there, um, there's a big big week coming up for our our Franciscan friars this week. The last mass will be held there on Friday morning at half 11. And it'll be a kind of a a sad day for the town. I know that the mayor and and his councils have been invited formally to the occasion, but just I suppose once again to thank the Franciscans for the huge service they've, you know, they've given the people of Clamville and surrounding areas for I don't know how many hundred years at this stage. But I think it'll be a very special mass on Friday, and you'll be encouraging, I suppose, as many people as possible to attend that that occasion. But just once again to thank the friars for the for the terrific service Absolutely. they've given the people of the town. Yeah, and I don't think there'll be a small crowd there Friday. Now I'd say no, no, I don't think so. I don't <laughs> think so. For All sure, right. for Richie, sure. great to talk to you. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks for that. Alison. All the best. That's uh, Councillor Richie Malloy there. And absolutely one of the most peaceful places you could ever go, regardless of what your belief system is. The Friary is just beautiful and well you know so say all of us here we wish them all the best and thank them um, for their years of service now just to bring you some text before we go to the ad break uh, mostly about the speed vans and the speed cameras this morning listener says they are cash cows i've been traveling on the feathered road doing the speed limit and been overtaken by one of these vans who then park up to try and catch people who speed are they exempt from doing the legal limit now the listener says if you're not breaking the speed limit then it's no problem simple as that uh, Jamie says, uh, speed checkpoint in Lura isn't working for ages. It's meant to pick up, pick up the speed of cars. It's broken down on the road near Riverstown and Burr. Um, it's also left very untidy. Um, another listener says, Richie should leave his car at home and walk around. Castle Road area and Haywood Road, the speed on those two streets makes me so mad. No matter what time of day, some cars even mounting the footpath. Um, not sure if speed vans work at all. Another listener says, Rich Malloy, not wrong. A speed van on the M8 now between Mitchellstown and Care on the big long straight. The motorways are supposed to be the safest roads going. They should be in black spots. It is a money racket, according to Mick. Yeah, Mick, I know now they might just get that over the line because I know there are a number of, of accidents there. There have been in recent years on that stretch of motorway by Glengarra. But that's mostly down to when it rains and whatever happens, the surface of the road, the cars kind of come off. I'm not too sure if really speed is an issue technically on that. Um, But that's probably how they're able to get on and justify that. Um, Another listener says they don't care about carers or elderly in care homes. Nothing has changed in the past 17 years. As for a doctor, lucky if you can get one, even on the phone. Keep those texts coming in to us, 83 311 or 1800 938 007. Tip today 
with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to Tip Today. Listener makes an interesting point on WhatsApp and is asking, is the speed van paying for parking on the Davis Road in Clonmel? I doubt it very much, but it certainly raises a, an interesting question. Jared also said there's a speed van parked in Ard Crony on the burst at Caneside Hidden. It's not an accident spot. Sometimes it's parked outside the school in the middle of the village. Another listener says, um, that's Grant, he says, I 100% agree with Richie. If they wanted traffic to slow, they would be in plain sight, but they hide in spots in order to catch drivers speeding, typically in areas where the roads are incorrectly rated. This isn't slowing traffic, this is just making money. Other traffic calming measures can be put in place in the UK. I believe there is a 10% leeway. Um, I think Garthi offered that as well here. I think it's a 10% discretion, but I suppose it depends on, on, on who you're dealing with. Another listener on the hospitals issue said, I'm actually dreading the kids going back to school tomorrow. The hospitals are packed as it is. Wait until the kids go back. It's going to be a lot worse. And then with all of these viruses that have been knocking around over Christmas, you'd worry once everyone is back to school and back to work, is it just going to explode completely? But we return now to the issue of the speed vans and Mary joins me on the line now. Hiya Mary. Hi Alison, how are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you Mary. Tell me what do you think about the speed vans? I'd say the majority of listeners feel they're maybe unfairly targeted when it comes to speed vans. Others say if you don't speed you have no problem. Where do you stand on it? Well I was listening to Richie there and I, I would I suppose agree I would actually totally agree they are. They're a private company. They're bound to be a money-making exercise. Of course. But that also brings up the point then, if that's the case, will they not park in the most lucrative spot? If they're there to make money, they will park where they can make money, mm. which means if they're parked by roundabouts, and I was surprised to hear Richie say there's no speeding around the Cashel Road roundabout. Well, you don't think there is? There is. There is. He was saying there wasn't. Okay. My point is, if we accept the fact that they're out there to make money, they will park where they can make the most money. Okay. So we have to accept that they're going to try and catch us. Exactly. What I don't agree with, um, and I know other people this has happened to, you know, this thing about being 53 in a 50 zone, that's crazy. That is absolutely ridiculous because I think most people would agree, especially if you're driving an older car, your car doesn't always tally. That's the thing. Yes, you could be doing 49 in your car showing it, but you could be at 53. And I believe, actually, if you go to court and you argue that with the judge and you say, I thought I was doing 50, I don't understand why 53 came up as far as I'm concerned that my car was showing 50. You uh, lose. Well, I don't know. It depends on the judge, but you, you certainly have a strong case. You would have, I suppose, but how many people are prepared to take that risk? That's then, the thing. You know? They'd rather take the ticket and pay it and be done. But exactly. then with the doubling of the of the, the fees now, €160 Euro now is, is tough if you're going three miles over the limit. Oh, that's crazy. That is crazy. I do actually think 
that um, we should have a better guard unit. Mm. But then again, we don't have enough guards to patrol the streets, never to mind the, the roads. Well, I say, you know, if we if we do have a traffic corps in the Gardaí, I think it, they, they probably should be dedicated to, to road issues and traffic issues as opposed to being brought into other areas, you know, ideally. Ideally, that would be in an ideal world. Yeah. But that, again, goes back to the fact that there aren't enough guards there. The other thing I would say is that um, I'd argue the point about it not being needed on the Davis Road as well. Yeah, I know a lot of cars would put the foot down and, and, and look, I'd probably have to put have myself you tried in get, that. Have, have, you tried get, have you tried getting out of Dunn's car park? Or getting out a little sometimes. Yes. Gee, you'd be there for Same ages. Thing. That's what I mean. Yeah. You know, so I, I don't agree with the way it's done, but I do think we need to do something about speed. I live in Irish town, Richie lived in Irish town. The speed, I was actually listening while I was listening to Richie. I was listening to the cars going up and down Irish Town. Speed in Irish Town is incredible. Really? Incredible. And if you look at the statistics that came out there, was it only a few days ago, the majority of the road deaths, they, they, they were able to pinpoint it down to speeding. Mm. Now, they don't all take place in on back roads or... Do you know what I'm saying? I know. Um, the other thing I will agree with him about is that the speed limits on some roads are crazy. Yeah. My daughter lives out in Grange and there's a road out there and speed limit is 80k. What do you You're think not it should be? <laughs> about 40. Yeah. You're not safe doing 40 on it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's just, it's all handled badly. We do need something to reduce the speed. The private companies are not the way to go about it. Can I ask you, what do you make of these? I know there's a lot of pages on social media that will warn you of the spots of where these speed vans are operating. What what do you, do you think that that's right to do, to warn people? I don't, actually. I don't, even though I don't. In principle, I would have to say I don't agree with the private companies and the speed vans. That's you know, I'd be with the majority of people on that. But I don't agree with, or even the flashing on the roads. I mean, if there's a speed limit, just stick to it. Yeah. Within as near as you can. As I said, there has to be leeway. As you said, or was it Richie? I don't know which you said. I think it's a 10% with the, the traffic core. Yeah. You know, which makes sense because, as I said, there can be genuine, legitimate reasons for, like, for instance, if you're doing, you're in a 50 zone and there's somebody crawling in front of you, you're doing 50, but to pass them out, you're going to have to step on the pedal a little bit. To overtake, yeah. Exactly. If there's a concealed van, you're caught. That's crazy. Or if there's a tractor, you're trying to overtake a tractor. Oh, look, don't even go there. (laughs) (laughs) Go on, Mary, we'll have no rent. (laughs) (laughs) Don't, no, I know, I know. And and actually, to be fair, I think lorry drivers and heavy machinery drivers in general are exceptionally good on the road. Yeah. And that that would be my honest thinking about it. Um, You know, they will pull in, they will let you pass at their first opportunity. They will, to be fair, yeah. They will, to be fair. Like, I know they get a lot of bad speak, but 
Um, no, I, as I said, I think we need something to control speed. I don't think the private companies are the way to go about it. They are out there to make money. That's their priority. It's not our safety. Yeah, so they are there to catch us. Mary, great to talk to you this morning. Thanks for joining us. Thanks a million, Alison. All the best. Bye-bye. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye, Mary. Bye-bye. Tony is on the line now as well. Hi, Tony. Good morning. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Tony. What do you make of speed vans? Do you think they're they're just out to catch us like Mary thinks? Well, hold on. Let's give them their proper name. I'm the Go Safe Van. Go Safe Vans, yes. <laughs> I'm going the old nothing, name. Nothing to do with revenue at all. <laughs> are, you, are you being facetious? Oh, I'll let the viewers or the listeners decide that. <laughs> um, we, we need speed limits. The, the, and and we, we have to be sensible in relation to this. Mm. We have to have a system whereby it's not a free-for-all. We do need enforcement of speed limits. The, what I would question is speed limits in certain places. I, I'm not sure if you're aware that there is a, a, a speed sign uh, which doesn't have a... a, a numbers on it, but it's the maximum 80 kilometre an hour sign. It's a reasonably new sign that's been introduced. I have seen one it was up in County Leitrim and there was grass going up the middle of the road. Yes, it was a maximum 80 kilometre an hour sign. Okay, so you'd never be doing 80 on that road. So it's a boring essentially. Literally. Right. Literally. But you know, inappropriate speed is what kills people. Mm. And speed limits, yes, we need them. How we enforce it is such a complex subject, I wouldn't even speculate on it. But we do need something to enforce speed limits, and they are there for a reason. It's those limits that I would be questioning in certain areas. Yeah. Are there any particular roads that come to mind to you that you feel are are wrongly allocated? We have many roads all over the country. I do quite a bit of travelling, and... uh, I mean, we had a situation in Bonard a few years ago where the main road was one speed limit. But if you came towards the main road from one of the side roads, there was a different speed limit there. Right. And I know eventually the Prairie County Council did um, change that. But it, it, it's very hard to, to state categorically, oh, this is a 50 and that it can't be altered the we do need maybe a review. I know there was a review a few years ago in relation to speed limits, but we do need speed limits. Let's be honest about yeah. it. And we have to regulate driving. Driving is not a free-for-all. And a driving license is not um, right. It, you earn that. Yeah. And safe driving is something that I would be, as a driving instructor, I'm very concerned in relation to it. And the governing body, the Road Safety Authority, I think need to step up to the market in a big way relation to tests, things like that. We have a huge backlog. Did, I, did you just say you're a driving instructor yourself, Tony? Yes, I am. Okay, but what do you think then, it, I'd be interested to hear your point of view then, what do you think of the the level or the quality of driving with people now? Do you think it's worse than it was or it's better? I can't say it's worse or better. What, because we have uh, huge numbers of people on the roads compared to a few years ago, the standard of driving, I think, generally is pretty low. Low? Yes. Okay. And um, where do we fail? We fail in observation, I think, is the biggest thing. Right. And uh, we have... Don't forget, we have a situation uh, where we have driving centres. There's are nowhere near school carriageways, 
and things like that, where people cannot be tested on their ability to drive on a modern road network. Yeah. So we, it's not a one-size-fits-all. I know for, in Kiros and West Clare, uh, there are no traffic lights, there are no bus lanes, there are no cycle lanes. There's a very small little roundabout in the centre of the town. But if you pass your test there, get your certificate of competency, apply for your full licence, as soon as you have that licence in your hospital hands, you are allowed on a motorway. Yeah. On your own, which is ludicrous. Are there any plans to introduce any kind of a motorway part of a test? No? Well, let me assure you that the Road Safety Authority will not liaise with uh, the driving instructors. And given that we are the people charged by the Road Safety Authority with delivering what they uh, want us to teach, they will not liaise with us in relation to what is needed. Why not? Perhaps you could get somebody from the RS1 to answer Yeah. I cannot answer it. That's very interesting because you would think that, you know, for both of you to operate um, properly and and within the knowledge of, of what's needed, that you would both have a relationship with each other to know exactly what's needed in that field. It's very That's very strange um, to hear. Unfortunately, it's very much a one-way traffic. Right. And, um, you know, the, the waiting is... I, I, I don't know if you're aware of the, the pass rate in Ireland. It's roughly around 52, 53 percent. Okay. If you put that into terms of, uh, say, students doing the leaving cert or um, people in university, if there was a failure rate of 47, 48 percent, there'd be public outcry. Yeah. Um, but yet, someone who fails their driving test can hop back into their car and drive home. Well, they can, provided they're a company. Yeah. By qualified right? Yeah. But we do need, I think we need a lot more thinking. We have on, we have the professional drivers, you know, coach, truck, taxi, these professional drivers. And by and large, they're very good drivers. I mean, I came across the other day, I was giving a lesson, and I came across, and not an elderly man by any means, driving down the roundabout the wrong way. <gasps> now, this is what I'm saying. We have people, it must be the only situation where the state give you a license to drive. And you, unless you have a medical condition or unless the court specifies otherwise, you never ever have to do any bit of training again mm. until you have to get your license or until you have to get signed off by a doctor at a certain age, depending on what accessories you have. Yeah. And I think we need to do that. But then again, we need insurance companies on board with this as well. Yeah. So why not have a refresher course every 10 years and, and have the insurance um, come on board and maybe give a discount if you do it and pass it? Yeah, it's a good idea. And what you were saying about not having to, you know, once you have your licence, that's it. Uh, it's not the case, of course, for professional drivers. The listener is saying it's ridiculous. Truck, truck and bus drivers having to repeatedly do CPC courses. One set, of course, uh, mm-hmm. should be enough. It's just a moneymaker in that regard, too. Well, I would agree that CPC is, is it seems to be an ongoing, um, well, it is a, it's in EU legislation. Now, the other side of that is, as driving instructors, we don't have CPC. We are looking for something like that. Yeah. We, would, we would welcome the Road Safety Authority to uh, have an open discussion with us where we can ask questions and ask them exactly what they want, rather than just... We have a situation where we are tested every two years. And we can fail that test, whereas you cannot fail CPC. 
You can't? No. Oh. So what's the point of it then? Perhaps somebody giving CPC and subject to it. But CPC, it should be a two-way street. It should be a a means of of disseminating the information that's needed for professional drivers. Yeah. And not just uh, an exercise in, in telling people how to do their job in cases maybe that by people who don't know how to do the job. Yeah. Tony? I would, I, I would have to say that in, in my dealings with truck drivers over the years, they are professional drivers and the vast majority of them are excellent drivers. Yeah. Okay, we'll have to leave it there for this morning, Tony. Great to talk to you. Thanks for joining us. All the best. Thanks, Tony. Just to bring you some texts, uh, Kiron says, I got a speeding ticket in May of last year at Chamberlain's Town between New Inn and Whitelands Cross. I was overtaking a car that was travelling at less than the speed limit, which is 80 kilometres along there. In order to overtake the car, I had to go over the limit. Then, surprise, surprise, I got the dreaded fine in the post in a few days. Um, it was something I could really have done without paying because I was on social welfare at the time. There's no leeway with it at all. Um, another one said, my son's driving instructor told him you can go five over the speed limit. There you go. Uh, just this one then before we... Go to the ad break. Keep those texts coming into us. Text or WhatsApp 0833113311. A listener on WhatsApp says the Gardaí may be an unarmed force, but they're well able to shoot fish in a barrel when it comes to speeding. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today. Huge reaction to the speed van issue. A listener says refresher courses for drivers are a waste of time. They do everything right for the course and as soon as they pass the course they go back to driving like idiots again and that's the story with driving tests as well. Once they pass the test they drive like idiots. It's the driving mentality, not the passing of tests. Another listener says what's a money racket also is I have a car and a minibus licence. I have to renew my minibus licence every two years and pay for my driver's license also and a medical as well every two years uh, listener says driving into Kilsheelan the flashing lights show 46 when you're doing 50 I notice that every time I drive through so if the guards are using their speed guns you are caught uh, another listener says they're parked in Thurless on the way out of town on match days and the other day a van was parked behind him and you could not see them um, the last one then on this, just for, for the meantime, 11.7 million go safe was paid in 2020 by guards. It's shocking. Um, keep those texts coming into us, 0833113311. Now on New Year's Day morning, the devastating news broke that a woman had been murdered in Cork City. Bruna Fonseca was a 28-year-old Brazilian native and had been living in Cork since last September. Her 29-year-old partner, Mela Pacheco, has been charged with her murder and is also notably a former partner of hers. Nolene Blackwell is CEO of the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre and she joins me now. Nolene, good morning to you. Good morning, Annie. Good to talk to you this morning, Nolene. I know we spoke to you, I would say it's probably this time last year exactly when we were reflecting on the, the brutal and tragic murder of Ashley Murphy and we were speaking about what needs to be done in order to make women safe in this country and tragically, almost a year to the day, we're talking about the same issue again. We are, and in the meantime, either 
10, nine or 10 other women have been killed uh, in various circumstances, um, a lot of them in uh, domestic settings. We won't be talking about them because the deaths are very recent and are all being investigated by the Gardaí and the courts. But that, you know, that comes down to, Annie, about one a month. And for some reason, one death will catch the public eye yeah. and another won't, you know, or it will, or we'll forget. I, I mean, I kind of had to go back over it myself, even though I work in the area and very conscious of uh, the, the dangers uh, for women of being killed, mm. uh, it, particularly in intimate settings. But I had to go back to remind myself. And of course, as I saw each one, I remembered um, the young woman in her 30s who was, who was stabbed in Ratoth, uh, the, the, old, the older woman who was stabbed in Dublin. You know, there, there are so many. There are either nine or ten, depending on how you count uh, the killings. Uh, in between those two of Ashley Murphy. And when we were talking about it a year ago, there was such a sort of a common um, agreement Mm. that this sort of thing should never happen again. Um, And still we haven't haven't got um, a country yet where women are extra at risk of being killed. Now, this is not to say that men aren't being at risk of being killed or seriously injured as well. But so are women. And the circumstances in which women are likely to suffer death or very serious injury are different. Um, Women, most of them actually, well over 50% of them, are likely to be killed by someone known to them and by someone, and many of them, by someone with whom they have been intimate. So nearly 90% of women are killed by someone they know. About 60%, 50 or 60% of men are killed that way. Um, over 90% are killed by men. Um, and and women, while women kill, uh, it is women are a tiny a minority of those who murder. So there are particular circumstances, and I suppose Bruna Fonseca's murder reminds us again of the particular risks that women face. And and to we have to recognise there are things that could be done to make life safer for women in general. Mm. Can I ask? Is 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 it? What are the reasons for it? Are they too complex to narrow down to any individual um, um, reason? Like alcohol would come to mind or domestic violence or, or is it yeah. too complex to pin down to one thing? Yeah, so it's it's not just one thing, but one of the interesting pieces of work that the Gardaí did during the year was look back on um, on murders and on the murders of women over a period of time. And they found, for instance, when they did that, that you could maybe identify some flags that were coming up in cases of murder or where they had missed before that there was a domestic connection mm. or a personal connection. They had they had missed it. They could now see it when they did this looking back piece, which was a very um, good piece of work on their part and will help them in future. So, So one of the Uh, times that women tend to be most at risk of serious injury or death or are when um, an abusive relationship is breaking up. 
because at that time, uh, women can be at particular risk of danger when somebody who is abusing them, uh, and that is, let's name it, that is normally a man, when that person is at risk of losing control over the over the woman. So, so that's that is a factor in uh, in in killings and has to be taken into account and it's one that could be reduced like for instance the the work that the Gardaí did at that stage in looking back on previous murders will help them the next time somebody comes in and says they're at risk because Are... anyone who is at, at risk of domestic violence very often it can be very hard for them to report it yeah. because one of the things they feel is their fault. And and that, I suppose, is one of the things the Gardaí can do. And one of the other things that we really, really badly need is more places that people at risk, women at risk in particular, can go to to be safe. And we can try and improve our, our refuges. We can improve our laws so that women don't have to move out of their house that abusers do. Um, and there are other things we can do as well is we can all, as a society, we can all be absolutely clear that if we see any signs of someone who might be at risk of abuse, someone who might be being treated in a way that is abusive, that we take steps to ensure that someone knows we're there for them, that there's there are safe places for them, and that we try to stop the abuse because we can. Because some of it is down to us in small ways, accepting abuse, saying it's none of our business saying that's happening behind their closed door. We can't interfere. We have to find ways to make homes, private spaces safer because that will make women in general safer. Are we seeing more of these cases, Nolene? Are we just um, seeing them more reported on? Yeah, so so it's probably a bit of both, Annie. It's very hard to tell because these things were um, were this kind these kind this kind of abuse, even these kind of killings, were things that people did not talk about. They only yeah. whispered about them. They were not reported. They very often now, in truth, uh, a number of years ago, would not have been that welcome if someone went to report them to the Gardaí or to uh, a local um, uh, authority figure of any sort, be that a, um, a, a, a solicitor, a teacher, a priest, whatever. They, they weren't that welcome. So there is now more a recognition that if these things happen, they're wrong. They're mm-hmm. abusive and that they should be reported. And there are things like helplines. And at, at the end, Annie, I'll give you our own rape crisis helpline and the Women's Aid helpline as well, right. uh, just so that people know. And, you know, even supporters can phone up to see what they might be able to do to help. So I think people are more ready to report um, abuse. And that's why the numbers are going up, both of rape and sexual abuse and of domestic violence. The numbers are definitely going up and some of it is down to people knowing that it's wrong and being prepared to report it. But still, it's always going to be hard to report that into the guards because you're reporting someone you know yeah. and it may be somebody you know. that It's someone in your community probably, someone you work with, someone you live with. And these are things that do still feel to a lot of people like they shouldn't be spoken about in public. So that's why the helplines are so important because the first thing for everybody is if there's a risk, if they know there's a risk, to try and and get safe, to be safe, to have to have ways of staying safe, to be well supported, uh, and and to be listened to. 
Can I ask you, Nolene, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but a, a few of the texts that we've got in here this morning since we started the conversation, yeah. some listeners are asking, what percentage of women are killed by foreign nationals? Do we have any statistics on that? So just looking back, say, on, um, uh, on the last couple of years, a small number of um, foreign national women have been killed um, and a, a small uh, and a, a good percentage of those which have been killed by somebody else who was at least originally a foreign national. I mean, you don't know that they're not Irish at this stage. Mm. Um, but say, for instance, two of the ones that stand out for me um, are... Uh, or say the one that stands out for me in particular is not one of those cases uh, because it is that uh, Usan Ching Panzorig, the uh, Mongolian national who was coming home from work, and you'll recall yes. that a 16-year-old Irish uh, youth was uh, was guilty of her murder. Yeah. That wasn't a domestic violence incident. Mm. Um, and I can recall two other incidents of uh, women who were foreign nationals, where um, the where the person accused of the murder, and at least one of them is still before the courts, was also a foreign national and was their partner. So, uh, so there's for but for the for the most part, it's. It's really not. It's not the nationality of the of the person who is accused of the killing. It's often the relationship, and that's what you'll see about women: that it's the relationship between the two, not the nationality necessarily. Okay, Noli, we'll have to leave it there. We have those numbers for anyone who's looking to make contact. Emma will have them on hand there for anyone who wants to make contact. I might just us. call them out though very Do, briefly, if yeah, I may, Annie. Of course. Just, so the rape crisis number is one eight hundred seventy seven. 8888 and the women's aid helpline number is 1800 341 900. Okay, thanks, Nolene. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Annie, and happy new year to all your listeners. Many happy returns. Bye bye. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to Tip Today. Some reaction to what we've been discussing so far in the show this morning. A listener says all domestic violence should be registered, even though the Gardaí may have never been called to a home. Once a person goes to a solicitor to stop proceedings to end a marriage, then it should automatically be entered into the system. Too many women getting involved with divorces that have history of domestic violence and rape, which was never reported to a guard or a family member until the marriage broke up. Uh, another listener says, I've just come out of a marriage where I wasn't physically abused, but was mentally, emotionally and financially abused. And sometimes I wish it was physical so people could have seen what he was doing. Another listener says, in relation to speed vans, I always dread seeing the speed van, even when I'm in the speed limit. Also, it's so sad coming up to the first anniversary of Ashley Murphy. May she rest in peace. That's from Noreen in Dundrum. 
Uh, the last one on speed vans. Speed vans are a deterrent and would be more effective if people didn't flash oncoming traffic. Most modern cars have cruise control and the speed can be seen plainly in front of the driver. It's a simple matter of obey it if you want to. It's the same with mobile phones. Most cars have Bluetooth and it's easy to pair with your phone. The amount of people that are trying to drive with them up to their ears are a danger to everyone else. Financial advice with FOH Financial Limited. Tried, trusted and experienced advice. See foh.ie. FOH Financial Limited is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. And delighted to be joined in studio by Francis O'Hanlon um, from FOH Financial Limited. Good morning, Francis. Good Happy morning. New Year. Happy New Year to you too. Well, we need you today, Francis, because it's January <laughs> and we're all broke. So what can we... I mean, what we? I know we always put things on the credit cards and we always say look I'll deal with it in January and now we're dealing with it in January. It can be tough sometimes to see out the end of this month. Yeah and I suppose look it's just one of those dreary months isn't it? But look I would look at it this way. It's a great month to review and it's a great month to look back and say okay what did I do right but what did I do wrong as well so you can can change things. I, I think January has to be viewed as a month for change and I think also you know, there's many different things that you can look at, an overall review of smaller items, be it, you know, your week-to-week grocery shop, but it also be, could be for bigger ticket items, expensive items, uh, and we might go down through uh, mm. a few of those. So, can I ask you, just look, at, the, at the start of the year, you mm. often feel like you're looking at the mountain, you're not starting at the top of the mountain. No. So you feel like you have to clear the debt first before yeah. you start looking Yeah, we, we were just having a chat there about exams and, yeah. and junior cert and even cert or whatever it be and you know I used to always say to my girls how do you eat an elephant you know bit by bit and I would say the same when it comes to your finances you know you're not there's no magic wand you're not going to get everything right straight on but if you look and try and identify what you have a problem with or what you did and you wouldn't do it again and maybe deal with it little by little because very few people have the ability to deal with everything all in one go. Yeah. Um, and I suppose on to that end, you know, I know we've just finished with Christmas 22, but Christmas 23 is coming. Francis, I know. Give us a chance. I know. And everybody, I say the same thing every year. But the reality is Christmas 23 is 51 weeks away. <laughs> That's the reality. So, you know, again, now is your time. You should be saving. Santa comes every year, right? And you should be saving now for Christmas 23. That's the reality. Ideally save. But look, you know, reality... Are, th- are those Christmas plans, are they worth it? You know, the ones you see advertised? Yeah, possibly. It, like different strokes for different folks. Yeah. Uh, you know, your local credit union, your your jar in, in your bedroom where you save X amount in coin or whatever it be. Mm. Everybody has different methods and maybe some people have multiple methods. Um, it might be that they, they do all of the above. Yeah. So I would say whatever works for you because, again, back to bit by bit, this all of these little, you know, bits of money every week, every month, they add up. So, you know, I would say save ideally if you can. But look, again, reality is uh, that some people need to borrow for Christmas. Um, it can be a hard habit to wean off but you know that is doable as well with some help and maybe intervention um so i would say you know again that's something you maybe need to address as in when you're looking back so okay 
let's let's talk about Christmas as it has just been. You know, for the last couple of years, I said, okay, everyone was maybe doing a little bit more because there was COVID. Mm. It was this, it was that. So now probably everyone maybe went a little bit more bananas than usual last Christmas because it was the first Christmas in a few Christmases where there wasn't all these restrictions. Yeah. Maybe there was more Christmas parties, more family get togethers. So, you know, don't beat yourself up over it. If it's done and you've overindulged and maybe you need to make up for that in some way now, just deal with it. You know, I would say account for it, account for what it cost and maybe look back. I know myself. I was looking at the amount of Christmas cards that I sent personally this year and I was thinking, actually, I didn't get the shadow of it back. So it might be time for even, you know, for everyone to say oh, that's on a small matter because you took the time to buy a card, you know, maybe a charity card. You put a stamp in it, you sent it. You might just say, well, why? Some people are not sending cards anymore. Yeah. So maybe it's time to, to maybe think about small things like that, if that makes sense, as to when you're looking kind of back as to what you did that you would maybe do again yeah. next year. Should you tackle the debt of Christmas before you look at saving or should oh, you try and do absolutely. both Absolutely. You know, so I, I mean, what I would say is not all credit is created equal and we've, we always say that. So I suppose know what debt you have. What was it for? How did you accumulate it and what is it costing you now going forward? So if it's on a credit card, you need to deal with that. Because if I I would say again, Christmas, it'll be here again. We'll be saying in 11 months, you'll be kind of into the, the, the zone again. So I would say ideally that debt should be gone right by then. But if it's on a credit card where you're paying 18 percent or possibly more, OK, then you need to deal with that and you need to say, is this in the best place? Could I switch this credit card to another provider where I might get zero percent for the switching balance for six months, 12 months? Or is this better off? Is this hardcore credit card, as we call it, where it's going on and on and on? Are you better off getting a term loan? over maybe 18 months to tackle this where it's affordable for you and that you just cut the credit card up mm. or you put it in the back of the press in case of emergencies, you know, tackle, you know, packet of sugar where it's hidden or something, yeah. you know. So again, it depends on the cost of your debt and what it was for, but there's many ways to deal with it. It may be that it's better off on a credit card switch because you're going to get rid of it within that period, of, you know, free period of interest, or maybe that it's better on a term loan. You don't have to clear the credit card before you switch, do you? No. So if you're switching it to another provider, the balance literally will transfer. Okay. You know, you can transfer the balance over. Um, again, just look at the terms and conditions on those cards because all of those offers are not always as they seem. So just make sure that it's right for you because after the free period of, you know, interest, again, there's no such thing as a free lunch. What are you going to end up paying then? Yeah. So you need to be mindful of that. But just be careful in credit about credit cards in particular. Some debt is longer term and it should be on a term loan because sometimes what happens, people, is they'll clear it out, they'll get a term loan or they'll get the 0% the credit card, but they'll run it up in the background again. That defeats the purpose. Yeah. You need to look at what this is about. So that's why I'm saying you need to look and see what the debt was about in the first place. Yeah. Okay. Because are you going to reoffend? That's basically what I'm asking. Um, and you need, if you think, oh, well, the reason that that happened is because of X. If, the, if X is still 
looming in the background, it's going to happen again. Okay. Okay. So they're the things that you need to to consider. And avoid, please avoid money lenders is what I would say. You know, your local credit union um, um, and indeed your own bank would help you out in relation to a term loan. Um, there's also for people that are social welfare recipients, we've mentioned this before, it makes sense loan. You can get that through various credit unions um, if you're a credit union member. And normally it's a minimum of 100 euros, but a maximum of 2,000. That might be something that's available to certain, you know, makes sense for, for certain people. Please mind your credit rating. Really important. We say that all the time. You know, sometimes people, you know, forget about, you know, these buy now, even pay later facilities, which are fantastic if you're you're using them properly, where you maybe bought without getting into certain company names here where you bought clothes or whatever it be and you have three months or whatever it be, six months where you're not paying any interest. But the proviso is that it's gone mm. in that period of time. Again, when that period of time is up, if you can't have, if you don't have that debt cleared in full, all of a sudden you're facing into interest. Yeah. Okay. And if you, if you miss payments, it could affect your credit rating. So please be careful of that. Does um, paying bills late, does that affect your credit rating? What, what type of bills when you say? Well, let's say electricity bills. We'll say if you're, you're, you're chasing it all the time, it's always paid, but you, you know, yeah, you're tipping look, away at it. I, I, you know, when it comes to the central credit register, you're not going to see electricity bill. Okay. You know on that but you know again that's very stressful for people mm. having to ch constantly chase um bills so again and 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 again you know people are not in that position the majority of people out of choice it's just their circumstances yeah so there are lots of places that can help you i mean mabs is a very good outlet mm. as well um and they can certainly help you maybe from a budgeting point of view and maybe it requires intervention you know, and I would also say to people, if you're really in difficulty with debt, um, you know, you can speak speak to MABS um, or it might be that you need to speak to an insolvency practitioner mm. if there's, you know, historic debt there that you're dragging around and maybe arrears or mortgages or whatever it be. Or indeed somebody like me who's qualified in the area of debt management. Um, you know, whilst I'm a financial advisor, I'm specifically qualified in that area. So... But, you know, I would say MABS is a great outlet for people and yeah. they should avail of that as well. Is it a case of just at, at this time of year, sit down, write down everything you're spending, everything you owe and everything that's coming in yeah. and just see? That can be fairly daunting for some people. Yeah. But I think sometimes, you know, by doing it, it's nearly like admitting it, it, it. It's the first step to recovery for all the word that you're saying, OK, you know, this is where I'm at. Yeah. This doesn't balance here you know this is i'm chasing my tail going forward is there any way i can manage this better is there any help i can get is there any intervention you know do i need a facility because sometimes it kind of gets fuzzy for people they they just can't see the wood for the trees yeah. it's just they get swamped by debt in particular so sometimes that's why it's better to step back and to, to seek advice from the likes of me or Mabs or whatever it be, that people might have some clarity yeah. where they couldn't see it before. All they need is just a hand to kind of clear the mist around it, if that yeah. makes sense. And it's that time of year as well for a tax back. Is, yeah. is, is that a lot more awkward than it seems, though, No, sometimes? I mean, I no. would say no. I mean, like, it, 
at the end of the day, if you're due money back, you should claim it. There's hundreds of thousands of euros left unclaimed. The revenue want you to claim this back. Now, we've always said no, to people... No, they don't, Francis. No, they, do you know what? They they actually <laughs> do, and they're quite swift to deal with it. So it's just sitting there. It's, it's GPs, it's you, whatever, maybe prescribed physio bills. There's lots and lots of different things that people are just not claiming for that they're entitled to. Yeah. So... You know, I would have always said the proverbial, you know, shoebox, have your shoebox, put your receipts in there. And again, great time of year. Sit down, have a look at what's in the shoebox and basically say, can I get some tax back here? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can contact the revenue. You can actually do it via my revenue. But if you don't want to do that, you can always go to a tax advisor and accountant. You know, you have to look at the cost, obviously, or somebody like whatever there's companies there that online that can help you mm. just make sure it's legit yeah um and that they'll give you a steer but the revenue are actually quite good themselves it's just double dutch i i could live to 200 i will never understand tax yeah and and look and, and i'm in the game i mean i would say i'm not a tax advisor but obviously we have to know a lot about tax as well but you know i at the end of the day there are allowances at the end of the day they're tax rates if you have all of these receipts it may well be that if you have a thousand euros in receipts during the year, it may well be that you're due 200 euros of that back. OK. You know, so that's that's a lot of money. If we're talking about possibly an overindulgence at, at Christmas, you know, if you think about, you know, your tax, having your tax right, um, you know, might have been somebody did an AVC, which is a pension contribution, maybe during the year on the back of a group scheme that they're in, they never claim the tax back, mm. which is something that I see quite a lot. Yeah. Um, so there's there's lots of money being left there. But, you know, look, it's like anything. I would say people should have pockets for different things. Like some of your pockets need to be further away from you than others in that, you know, if you're talking about maybe third level education, they're further away from you. But the more imminent ones are maybe say there's a family holiday coming up this year and you need to start saving for that. Mm. Or, you know, it's Christmas or birthdays within the family or whatever it be. So you need different pockets for different things. But I, I think a bills account is a really good way to go. OK. Uh, and where you're as you get paid monthly or weekly that you're literally write down a list of all your bills, literally put take X amount of your salary, be it monthly or weekly, and put it into the bills account and let all your bills come from there. That's a really good way to go. Okay. okay. Is that awkward then, changing everything? I'm so lazy, aren't I? No, you need to <laughs> you change get it. all your you know, bills over I know, there then, friends. But just think about it. This is like, a, you know, a new broom, right? Yeah. If you're really going to do this, sit down, write down everything and say, okay, I'm actually going to put the effort into doing this. Yeah. Because if you do... You know, as I normally say to people, I know this recipe works. If you come back and tell me it hasn't worked, I know you've let the eggs out or, you know, you put in too much sugar yeah. or whatever it be. Because if you do this, you'll never look back. You'll always have a sense of, well, oh, yeah, well, that's there Because you know it's covered. Yeah. yeah like, and I mean, t the TV license is something that kind of crops up on people. Yeah. Um, or property tax. Yeah. Now, some people choose to have that come from their salary. Mm. So, again, as we said earlier, different things and different methods work for different people. Yeah. But I, again, it's about knowing. It's about acknowledging where you're at. It's about acknowledging the bills that you've got. Because at this time of year as well, you might be sitting down and looking at your current account saying, what is that? Why Why am I paying that? Actually, I paid that last month. What is that? No, it might be completely legitimate. You might have forgotten it. 
or it might have been something that you cancelled 18 mm. months ago. Yeah. But it's still reoccurring, but it's a small amount. You keep forgetting about it. Mm. So it's a great time to review. January is a month to review. Okay. And then budget, then we, we spoke about the importance of budget. Um, how do you do up kind of a budget plan for the year? So, I mean, look, there's some great resources out there. MABS have quite a good um, budgeting tool, but, you know, the the CCPC, um, the consumer website is great as well. There's some money budgeting tools there also. Or, do you know what? Sit down with a jotter. Yeah. Split the page down the middle. On one side, what you're paying out. On one side, what you've got coming in. You know, and literally total them each side. You'll know. Yeah. But I, I think the budgeting tools are quite helpful because they maybe prompt you on the things that you've forgotten. Yeah. Um, I.e. the one the, the bill that only crops up once a year and you maybe just forget it. Like, I, I would go as far as to say if you're really budgeting, put down everything, motor tax, tyres, maintenance on the car. You know, you can... You can be as comprehensive or as simple as you like in these matters. Again, it might be Rome wasn't built in a day, as they say. It might be that you start simple, but it's great. It's like Lego. You can add on bits and take off bits as you go build, along yeah. on, on, a, on just a fundamental basic budget plan. What about the big the big items then, the mortgage? Yeah, I mean, look, obviously interest rates have started to go up. Fixed rates are a lot higher than they were. Um, but again, some that some people are still variable because they should be variable. Um, some people are fixed because they should be fixed. That's their comfort zone. Yeah. So I would still say there's substantial savings to be made when it comes to to mortgages, because one variable, say you're staying variable, it might be there's a difference of as much as one one and a half percent between one provider and another. But there's so many other big ticket items such as even you know, protection, life cover, series illness cover, all of those things. <clears throat> I'm actually going to get into um, the protection side at at the end of the month again um, because, you know, people will be saying, oh, do I need that series illness cover? I kid you not, the amount of series illness claims that we have seen in the year 22, I hope 23 isn't, doesn't repeat. Do you very often have to fight for it, though. That's, that's no, the irritating and, and thing. I would, disagree with you completely really? we haven't had one issue on any of the claims okay that we've had so again if they're done properly in the first place and they're written properly and you've declared properly because remember the onus is upon you to say as well yeah okay i had this oh you know it's not up to you to decide whether you think something is important or not yeah you know and if you're in doubt if you're filling out proposal forms and again we'll get into this maybe in greater depth towards the end of the month go to your gp say look can you help me here? I just can't. Does that sound, does that seem right as per my medical records? But honestly, it, it's, you know, so again, the things that people say, we're talking about big ticket items here and sometimes protection can be perceived as a big ticket item because especially if there's serious illness cover involved, people are paying out a substantial premium. But I would always say to people, the thing you say you can't afford to pay is the thing you can't afford not to have. Yeah. And honestly, I've seen it like it's it was like a game of thankfully two halves um, in that I've seen the a lot of seriousness claims we saw last year. OK, and then we saw people, you know, with those seriousness claims, it cleared mortgages or whatever it be. Then we've seen a couple of people that maybe just came to us to review 
and have had situations where they didn't have serious illness cover and they're now in difficulty. Yeah. And had they had the serious illness cover or the income protection or whatever yeah. it be, it's the, that, and that, But that's the problem with that is that I, it, it feels like a pain to pay it and you feel, sure, I'll never use this. But then once you need it, you really and need it. And I hope it. that you never do. Yeah. I would, you know, when we're doing such premiums for people, I would say, I hope you never need this. I hope you're forever giving out about it. Yeah. Why am I paying this? But by God, if you need it, you'll be very, very thankful for it. Yeah. So to review that then as well. Now, there's a couple of banks, of course, we were in the process of saying goodbye to. That's Ulster Bank and KBC. I'd imagine that most people who are aware of what's happening have their, yeah, their ducks I, in a row I, there, would I they? I was just li- listening to commentary recently and where a lot of people, there, I think there was still quite a few that hadn't moved. But again, you know, if you have a current account, they're actually shutting them down at the moment. The Ulster Bank are literally saying, sorry, we're, you've been given fair notice here. We're actually shutting this account now. Would they be dormant down. accounts mostly? Could It could be, again, you remember they're a long, long time um, operating in, in the Irish state. Yeah. And so they've, they've thousands and thousands of accounts. So I suppose a lot of those will wash out. I'm more concerned about the people that have active accounts. Yeah. And just make sure, again, we were talking about the whole switcher process, make sure that if you're tra- switching to whoever, that you don't take it for granted that your direct debits and your standing orders are set up. Make sure, especially when it comes to loans, mortgages, credit cards, higher purchase, whatever it be, make sure that the direct debit or the standing order, whatever it be, is set up properly on your new account. Because if you start missing payments and you don't realise it, and there's this kind of, again, missed, I used this word earlier, over the whole process at the moment, and they're all very busy, it could affect your credit rating. So just make sure that everything is done. Like the bigger ticket items, the mortgages and all that, they will automatically transfer to the new provider. That's not something you need to worry about unless you want to switch your mortgage, unless you want to go to another provider other than the provider that KBC or Ulster Bank are automatically going to transfer your mortgage to. But again, that's down to individuals and that's down to individual advice. Okay, and I suppose the main piece of advice then is just make sure you're getting a good deal, like you said, and that you can account for what you know what's going out and you know what's coming in. Yeah, like keep, like we're after speaking about an awful lot there, but I would say just keep it simple for the now. Sit down, be it with your jotter, and sit down and look at what are you paying out and what have you got coming in? And, you know, some people might be saying, well, actually, I, you know, I have this down. I have this as I want it. Brilliant. But an awful lot of people don't. And it's the one thing that I see people hemorrhage money by not having a budget plan in place. Yeah. Because it's constantly, they're constantly chasing their ch- tail and it's reactionary and they sometimes end up paying out more then because they haven't a plan, yeah. if that makes sense. And I'm sometimes people that have the least amount of money are the shrewdest because they have to be. Yeah. They know every shilling because they have to. Whereas the people that maybe are, have a little bit more surplus or maybe a little bit more... Flahoula. Oh, yeah, yeah. True. I don't know what's going... So, you know, just because sometimes people perceive, oh, well, you know, I'm not earning very... This is for everyone. It doesn't matter what you're earning. Yeah. You know, obviously your means are your means. 
and your budget plan is relative to your means, I would say. Okay, Francis, great to see you today. Anyone who's looking to make contact with you, how can they do that? Well, they can contact the office on 0526129487 or they can contact us via the website www.foh.ie. Great. Thanks, Francis. Thanks Happy New Year. Thank you. Bye-bye. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today. If you were listening yesterday, our Agony Aunt Phil Prendigast was in just after 11 and one of the letters we had, uh, we got a huge reaction to and it was a letter from a new mum who doesn't want to christen her child. Um, just made the decision. She said she's open to it in the future, but at the moment she wasn't thinking about christening the child. Her mother isn't happy and her mother's not speaking to her now as a result. Uh, we posted that letter to Facebook and we got a huge reaction and Tara was in touch to share her views and she joins me on the line. Tara, good morning. Good morning, how are you? Good to talk to you this morning. Tara, what's your take on this? Because I think Phil and myself even were a bit divided on how to approach it and whether she should just give in and if it means nothing to her, just have the child christened and make peace with the mother or should she stand mm. her ground? What What do you think? Uh, I think it's a hard one because I've been in the situation twice. Okay. Um, because as I said, one of our oldest daughters is not christened where our youngest ones are. Yeah. So we ended up doing both. Now, the reason the oldest girls weren't christened is because that was their father's religious belief. Okay. But I'm Irish, and my two youngest children were christened. But my youngest now would be 16 soon. So Mm. we're going back 20 years or so. And we were told that, like, if a child wasn't christened before they were 12 weeks old, and God forbid anything happened to them, you know, that they wouldn't go to heaven. And that's what the mother said yesterday. Yeah, yeah. That's, what, that's what we were led to believe. But like now my own granddaughter is two years old and she's not christened when she's almost two. Mm. And that, that belief, I think, is gone now. Yeah. But then again, back in the day, you couldn't go to a Catholic school unless you were christened. Yeah. You couldn't have your whole communion unless you're christened. Well, you still can't. You have to be christened to have communion. Yes, you still have to. Whereas before you had to be christened as well to be a godparent, but that has changed. And you had to be christened to get married in a church. Now, I don't know about that. I think you do. Anymore. But there is different ways around it. There's the... You can get married in a registry office. Yeah. Or instead of a christening, there's the new naming ceremony. Yeah. Which is literally just the hooli of the day um, without the the church involved. But if the issue with the mum is the religious aspect, because that was her big worry, if something were to happen to the child, would you get around her with an aiming ceremony? I I don't know, but there has to be a compromise because, as the lady said, she's not totally against the idea. I've known a good few people now um, that their children got christened the morning of their whole communion and oh. then went to church that afternoon and had their whole communion. Oh, that's so interesting. It, yes, it can be done. So this lady, I really hope pressure isn't being put on her. It sounds like it is, but it's not fair because there is ways around to get the child christened when she wants to and hopefully 
sort things out with her mum as well. Uh, the problem is she'll probably have to prepare herself though for a bit of I told you so's when the, if you know, if she does eventually decide to have the child christened, her mother's just going to be there. I told you she'll got that child christened. That's all she's oh, going to hear. You're going to hear that no matter what, yeah. even if you have two or three children. Yeah. Somebody, no offence, even if it's family, somebody is always going to have an opinion. But it comes down to you and your child. It would be the same as me trying to ram my beliefs down my oldest stepdaughter's throat that, oh, you have to christen that child. When I know for a fact it's not even her belief, it's mine. And does your oldest child then, who isn't christened, they don't feel left out or anything because they they weren't christened, do they? it it hasn't made one difference on her life at all as far as I know anyway she hasn't said anything Um, but if she wanted to get married in a Catholic church when she's older she has to get christened that morning of her wedding yeah that's all Okay. Tara, great to talk to you and thanks for your views on it this morning. No worries. Take care. Happy best. New Year. You Thank too. You. Thanks, Tara. Bye-bye. Carl Bye-bye. is on the line as well this morning. He joins me now. Hi, Carl. Good morning, Alison. How are you? I'm good. Good to talk to you this morning. What's your view on this? Oh, well, uh, I suppose my view comes from uh, first saying congratulations to the mum for bringing a, a new daughter into the world. Of course. Healthy, happy, healthy baby. Um, after that, Granny is doing the right thing the wrong way. Okay. Granny is looking for an insurance policy for her granddaughter to make sure she's safe in the event that something goes wrong. But insisting that you you get baptised or christened is not necessarily an insurance policy. It comes from an older time. Yeah. And the, the, the whole... Um, would say the whole belief in unbaptized babies going to hell was never actually part of Catholic dogma. It's never been part of Catholic tradition. Really? It's uh, something that grew up around the 5th century and then kind of, uh, it was an answer to a theological question and then it became a belief, but it's not part of Catholic teaching and it isn't in the catechism and there's no mention of it in the catechism since 1992. And in fact... Uh, Bishop Ratzinger, who became Pope Ratzinger, Mm. um, signed off on an edict in uh, 2007, and he basically said that it was an unduly restrictive uh, view of salvation, basically saying that this whole idea that babies would go to hell was not real. The other thing is babies didn't actually go to hell, they went to limbo. But isn't limbo gone now? Limbo isn't necessarily gone, but what limbo means has changed. Right. Limbo has, has kind of ebbed and flowed over the centuries um, from the time of Augustine in the, the 4th and 5th centuries straight through to the Council of Trent in the 15th century. Don't ask me why I know all this. I just did. Carla, um, I talked to you all day. But the, the general idea is that the grandmother's fear is valid, but it's not accurate. Right. So she's operating from an older catechism, an older way of looking at the Catholicism. Her priest should be able to reassure her that if that baby were, God forbid, to have anything happen to it, that there's no real thought that that baby's going anywhere except straight to heaven in the Catholic religion. Okay. Now, your your last caller was absolutely right. I mean, you can get baptised at any time. Yeah. Because 
if you take the very first people who were ever baptized by John the Baptist, they were all adults. Mm. There wasn't one of them was a baby. That that came later. You know, so the grandmother's fear is real. It's not grounded because she's not she doesn't know all the facts. Yeah. But she does and is doing the best she knows how. And maybe that's what we need to be looking at more so than uh, trying to vilify or create a wedge because family is everything. Absolutely. And the whole, the whole family needs to be there to raise a child. Absolutely. And grannies, maybe the, this row was all coming from everyone's love of this child. Granny that's, just wants to make sure the baby's protected. Absolutely. Granny wants to make sure she's protected. Mom wants to make sure she grows up in a modern world. Yeah. And somewhere in the middle of that, there has to be an understanding between the two of them. Because if there isn't, what you will have is a child who grows up either with no granny yeah. or with limited uh, relationship with her granny because mammy won't have a relationship with granny. Yeah. So there, there has to be a way, and the easiest way is for granny to understand that it's not going to make any difference if the child is baptized or not as to what happens if something went completely wrong. But mm. that at some point, if the child wants to, and if mum decides it's a good idea, that she might get baptised. It's not a closed conversation. Yeah, that we're open to it sometime in the that's future. It, yeah, it. That it, it, it doesn't have to be, uh, it's never going to happen. Yeah, just maybe you know? not now. Carl, we have to leave it there because I'm out of time. Not a pleasure it. to talk to you this morning. Thanks so much. Take care. All the Bye best. Now. Let us know what you think. Text or WhatsApp 83 if it matters to you, it matters to us. Call TIP today on 1-800-938-007. Welcome back to TIP Today. There are warnings we haven't seen the worst of hospital overcrowding yet, despite the fact that yesterday over 931 patients waited nationally for a bed on the worst day of overcrowding since the INMO began counting back in 2006. Consultants came out yesterday. They warned that patients will die if something isn't done. And people who attended uh, UHL A&E in recent days have described scenes there like a war zone. Nina-based independent councillor Shami Morris joins me now. Shami, good morning. Good morning, Alison. Good to talk to you this morning, Shami. You're quoted in the examiner today calling for an urgent meeting to address this issue. What do you think needs to be done immediately to address this? I think uh, the county councils, the CEO of the county councils, the, 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 health, the health forum members uh, hospital management and more importantly the fire chiefs uh, of the area uh, need to get into a room to see to see uh, what's going on um, because um, what happened in Limerick two days ago when when the local management uh, put in bypass protocols for for ambulances to bypass the only uh, emergency department in in the Midwest uh, was an admission of failure by by hospital management and listen we're after having report after report from Deloitte to Hikwa. In fact, what I'm hearing is that Hikwa are due to go into Limerick today and the hospital managers are clearing up, cleaning up and moving trolleys all over the place. In and that's the problem. You never get a, a pure and a, a, a true picture of what's happening there. You don't, but but from from uh, from patients' testimonies over the last couple of days, I mean, words that are being used at, or in, at the moment are inhumane, inappropriate. And and extraordinarily, uh, it's been called the national basket case by yeah. by consultants up and down the country. So the Midwest has been really poorly served by by 
or emergency uh, service, emergency health services. But you know, this is all predicted, Ellie. And yeah. there's no point in saying that uh, we have an emergency at the moment because we have you know people with uh, with chest infections or or we have COVID or whatever. We have 530 beds to serve the whole Midwest when we were promised 600 mm. to, in 2013. Can we learn any lessons from Waterford? Because Waterford, I know, hit the headlines a few weeks ago. They haven't had someone on the trolley there since March of 2020. But is it comparable? I heard that before Christmas, actually, and I said to myself, geez, we should all get on to Waterford to yeah. see what's going on because, because it's it's fucked within an hour of us. Um, they seem to be doing something consistently right, and it is consistently right. Their, their, their figures are stacking up. Um, and it, it is worth doing... Uh, doing doing a, a report on it because uh, what what we're what we're withstanding here in the Midwest is 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 totally inhumane and, and actually it can't continue. And I mean, you, you talk about bringing in investors into the Midwest when when they see this type of a uh, uh, situation going on in, in our main uh, hospital in, in the area, um, you'd have to wonder would you know would it would it would it head elsewhere? But more importantly, um, and our, our Shannon access system collapsed over Christmas as well. Really? So in in, in Ennis alone, there was one doctor, one doctor to serve the whole of of County Clare. Oh my God! Uh, he had worked fourteen hours. In fact, they were actually at one stage they were sending people from Nina uh, to Ennis. So Nina was obviously collapsing as well. So the whole thing, and but and this is all despite um, uh, Stephen Donnelly, the, the the health minister, um, uh, uh, launching an investigation. The Delight have investigated it. Hickway have investigated. There's been numerous. Investigations carried out of UHL, but yet management mm. almost refused to to uh, to put in uh, the, the promise to, to make make good the promises that they've made as re, as a result of these investigations. Can I play you um, a clip? Actually, it's Independent TD Richard O'Donoghue. He pleaded for help in the Dáil last November, completely unprecedented. Here's what he had to say in the Dáil: We now have a serious problem in UHL in Limerick. The management is wrong. I said it the first day I came here. The management is wrong. And I'm pleading for your help, for the safety of patients, for the, pa- for the safety of the healthcare staff in this hospital. I am pleading with you, please investigate this hospital and get the management to step down. The information is there. It's there. It's coming from all other parties in this house. Different deputies have mentioned it on more than one time. And even in the Shannon, it's been mentioned. We need your help. Can you please step up and help us? And since he made that statement in the doll, 16-year-old Aoife Johnston, who we know died of bacterial meningitis in UHL, having been left on a trolley for 16 hours, and that's just one of the cases we know about. See, I mean, we're, all, we're all quoting trolley numbers, but a trolley now is nearly seen as a reward yeah. in, in UHL for actually having got through tri- uh, being triaged. And that's the most important thing. If you go in and you're not triaged. Nobody knows what's wrong with you, and you can't. They can't start the treatment. I mean, you know, at least you can start being treated on, on a trolley, but not being triaged. I mean, that's a failure of, of a health system when you when you when you're ten to fourteen hours sitting in a, a, in a chair before being triaged. And I mean, that's how low we have ex- expectations we have of, of the hospital that that being triaged, uh, it, it, you know, is is something that you can't get maybe for. 10, 12, 14 hours. Look, we can't even put hours on things now because we're hearing of people being on trolleys for 60 hours. Mm. People being on trolleys for 100 hours. That's a scandal. And do you know what really uh, disappoints me in all of this? There's two very good uh, TDs in the Midwest, Michael McNamara and Claire yeah. and Richard O'Donoghue in, in Limerick. And to be honest, I was at a meeting with the, with the, with the health forum, hospital management, and our Midwest TDs. Richard O'Donoghue and Michael McNamara were the two best. 
our own TDs didn't say a word and they have said nothing, absolutely nothing over the last four or five months when things have gone got to it to the level. So, so what sort of representation are we getting from our own TDs? And that, by the way, and also that means I actually had the, the, the courage to ask uh, Paul Reid, who was the, the HSC CEO at the time, I asked him would he take the opportunity to apologise to the people of the, of the Midwest for the scandalous emergency uh, hospital services we have here and refused that. So, but I have to say, there was a loud guffaw from the rest of the, rest of the TDs there on, on the day. Uh, none of them had, none of them had, the, had the courage to, to, to stand up and, uh, and you know, encourage Paul Reid to apologise for what's happening. I was expecting, Jamie, for either Stephen Donnelly or Leo Varadkar to come out last night in, in response to that very unprecedented statement by consultants that they're in a, a serious situation in Limerick and there was silence. Were you surprised by that? Uh, I'm not surprised, but what I, what I will say is that I want to, I want to take my hat off to, to voluntary people in the, it, uh, the Midwest hospital campaign the Nina Nina needs to say any because people are actually seeing those those volunteers as the people that they can feed information into. And if they fear, there are consultants, there are paramedics, there are people inside the hospital feeding information uh, to people that, that have no, uh, you know, expertise yeah. in, in health other than they're standing up for our health services. Isn't that a sad indictment as to what faith we have in our in our politicians that that. People that have suffered um, have had to set up their own campaign to stand up. And believe you, there's incredible momentum going on at the moment. Dr. Conor Reedy is doing a really good job yep. in being a spokesperson for that campaign. He's a very calm and collected person. He's not, he, 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 you know, I, I wish I was half as articulate as he was the way he put things across in a calm and collected way. But to be honest with you, I'm extremely cross with what's going on, Alison. And sometimes I don't say the right things. I, I appreciate that. But at least, I'm, at least I'm standing up for the people in the Midwest. And the problem is we're already being warned by the health minister that we haven't seen the peak of this yet. It is going to get worse. I suppose, look, it is. Uh, unfortunately, there is there is a number of illnesses out there at the moment, particularly uh, uh, you know to do to do with uh, with breathing and, and and chest infections and flus, and people get frightened. They do call ambulances. But, but Alison, what happens is people now are leaving it to the last minute uh, before they even get into an ambulance to go to to go to Limerick. And I, I can also tell you, uh, Alison, that paramedics are advising people not to get into the ambulance. Because if you get into the ambulance, they have to take it to Limerick. Bear, bear, bear in mind, there's an internal incident like happened there yesterday. Um, but paramedics are advising people not to get into the ambulance if they can't get into their car to go to Balnasloe, Tullamore, or or um, or, or, uh, or Balnasloe, Tullamore, or Fort Lee, Sorry, uh, on this side. Can you imagine how bad things were if we had those yeah. Jamie, uh, I'm afraid this isn't the last conversation we're going to have on this, but I do appreciate you taking the time to talk to us this morning. Thank you, Alison. And look, please, I would ask our politicians to, 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 to join together in this. I, there's going to be no blame game in this in the future. If we all get behind the Midwest hospital campaign and look for the proper facilities that we need for the Midwest. OK, thanks, Jamie. Good morning to you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.
Welcome back to Tip Today. Some reaction to what we've been discussing this morning. A listener says to alleviate the suffering of patients in Limerick A&E before something awful occurs, Nina A&E should be reopened. The A&E and Nina should have remained open since doing so would have prevented the Limerick Hospital from being overcrowded. Um, also in relation to christenings, a listener sent an interesting one. My wife is Buddhist and on an occasion in recent years, a priest in a hospital uh, was giving out the Blessed Sacrament to the folks in the different wards and I, I'm Catholic, was very happy to be able to receive and when he offered it to my wife I intervened to inform him she was not Catholic but Buddhist but I left it up to him and I felt uh, a great feeling of joy when he again offered it to her and she accepted. Uh, that reminds me of something actually that happened to me over Christmas. We were at a funeral and my young lad um, wanted to go up for a communion. I said, no, you can't. You haven't had communion you have to have communion to get um, to go up for the sacrament and he was like a, a dog because he could see kids younger than him going up but I always thought his rule you can't get communion until you've had communion so let us know what the rule is on that or what the guideline is on it 83 311 or Emma is standing by on the phone 1800 Now every fortnight our Gardaí keep us up to date on what's going on around the county and Sergeant in charge at Plumwell Guard the station Margaret Kelly joins me now Hiya Margaret Morning Alison Happy New Year Happy New Year to you and we're starting off with a, a nice story preparation being made for the upcoming Senior Citizens Party in Care. That's right. The Guardian Care are hosting their annual Care Community Senior Citizens Party in the Care House Hotel on the 27th of January at 5pm. And they'd like to they'd like to extend extend um, an invitation to um, the senior citizens in the care area if they'd like to come along. There's going to be hot food, spot prizes, refreshments and music. The superintendent there, Eddie Golden, will be providing the music uh, on the night and requests will be taken. <laughs> so if anyone needs a lift to or from the event, please contact the Guardian Care and it can be arranged. And if anyone is dropping off a friend or a family member, they're obviously welcome to stay as well. And it's a great night you and the organising committee are delighted that it's back. The last one was yeah. in 2020. Oh, it's great. It's always a, a well-attended event as well and a, a great fun as well for anyone who attends. Uh, we're staying with CARE now for the next story in an incident near Knocklofty. That's right. The Guardian CARE are appealing for witnesses or anybody who may have passed through the Knocklofty area with dash cam footage on Wednesday the 20th of December. That was at approximately one o'clock in the day and they're investigating alleged theft from a car in the area. They're interested in identifying a man who may have been on the road from the on that road from Clonmel towards Knocklofty for some time. If anyone saw a man hitchhiking from Clonmel towards the Ardfinan area on that date, that's Wednesday before Christmas, the schools were still open to contact them in care, please. Okay, and to Ballyperreen Village now and uh, a public order and serious assaults over Christmas. That's right. They're appealing for witnesses to a public order and an assault incident in Ballyperreen Village. That was in the early hours of the 27th of December, just after midnight. So anybody, I suppose, out on Stevens's night, if anyone was in and around the village or travelled through, make contact with the Gardaí in care or Clahine, please. 
Okay, um, staying in care and Ballyluby now and a burglary. That's right. They're investigating a burglary at a garage which was forcibly entered in the Ballyluby area of care. That was overnight on the 13th into the 14th of December. That was a Wednesday into a Thursday. The intruders broke a padlock on a door and gained entry to a garage and there was some gardening equipment stolen there, two chainsaws and a lawnmower. Okay, north of the county now, Nina, and some good news with some drug busts made over Christmas. That's right, the members up there in the Divisional Drugs Unit in Nina were busy over the festive period and they had a targeted search operation on the 15th of December where three premises were searched and two and a half thousand euros of cocaine that's subject to analysis as well as suspected cannabis were recovered. One male was arrested and later charged to court with those drug offences. Okay, and Ross Ray now and a theft under investigation there. That's right. A woman had her handbag stolen on Rosemary Street in Ross Gray on St. Stephen's night. The Gardaí were able to identify a suspect and he was later arrested, detained and questioned. He was charged with the theft offences and brought before a special sitting at Limerick Court on the 29th of December where he was remanded in custody. During our last Gather Report, we spoke about that devastating sheep kill in Monegal. Unfortunately, there's been another since, this time in Lara. That's right. I know Sergeant Declan O'Carroll was speaking with Fran there in the middle of December and he spoke about this. Unfortunately, they've had another large sheep kill which happened at the Bally Mac- Keegan or Ballymacegan Lara area between the 24th and the 27th of December just gone. A large number of sheep were killed in the incident and obviously it's devastating for that farmer. The dog warden was in attendance at the scene and the Gardaí are continuing with their inquiries. Obviously dog owners are being reminded of their responsibilities but the Gardaí really are seeking anyone with information to contact them in Nina please. Okay, our next one then is a burglary in Ross Gray. That's right, the Gardaí in Ross Gray are investigating a burglary that occurred at the Tulliski Ross Gray area between the 24th and the 27th of December. Uh, entry was gained to the rear of a house and some items were stolen. They're requesting that members of the public remain vigilant, especially during these dark evenings. I know for many people, they're, they're at home um, people are still on holidays with the children and that, but just to be vigilant. Okay, and to Loch Derg now and the theft of an engine. That's right, the theft of an outboard engine close to Port Row on Loch Derg. The engine was stolen between Christmas Day and St. Stephen's Day and they're asking for any information to contact them in Nina, please. Newport now and a case of criminal damage. That's right. So on the on St. Stephen's Day, a rock was thrown through the window of a house in the Inistrina Newport area at about 9am in the morning. So quite unusual, really. They're appealing for anyone with information to contact Newport Garda Station. In a separate incident, a man had his tyres um, slashed on his car in the Summer Hill area of Nina between the 23rd and the 24th of December. They're looking for CCTV in those areas, but they're also appealing for witnesses. When it comes then to public order incidents over Christmas, were many arrests made? That's right. So we would obviously be on high alert for public order incidents. If there's arrests made of people who are very drunk, well then the consequence of that is that you'd hope that there wouldn't be that many assaults on the street. So they over the Christmas period, there was 11 individuals arrested for public order and they the majority of those were in the Nina area, um, up in that Nina district over the Christmas period. 
And unfortunately, phishing and tech scams still very popular at the moment. That's right. And I know that um, Sergeant Declan O'Carroll would be speaking about this very often. And they're still experiencing um, a number of unsolicited text messages being sent to public up there and purporting to be from banks and credit unions and we're asking people if it's unsolicited so if you haven't looked for contact from any of these places we would ask that you'd ignore and certainly don't be clicking on any links. Okay, we're going to Thurless now and uh, a strange, very sad incident of a pickpocket. That's right. So in the run-up to Christmas, the 13th of December, the Guardian Thurless received a report from an elderly lady. She got a train from Dublin to Thurless train station and she encountered a man on the platform in Thurless and he engaged her in conversation. So he left to board another train and the lady subsequently discovered that she had been pickpocketed of her purse. That contained a sum of money. The Gardaí began an investigation and they gathered CCTV footage from the train station. They identified a man fitting the description of the suspect and they have made an arrest in that. He's since been charged to court. His bail was objected to and he's currently in custody awaiting trial. He has been barred from the train station and all Erin Road Erin services. Okay, uh, staying with Thurless, a number of thefts from shops there in recent weeks as well. Yes, so I suppose really in the run-up to Christmas, we would always, uh, across the division, there would be a lot of thefts from shops and they have made three separate arrests uh, in respect of culprits. They're due before the courts charged with those thefts. Okay, two Templemore now and a burglary there under investigation. That's right. So on the 27th of December in Templemore, a man called to a vacant house he entered as a trespasser. He was observed on CCTV exiting with a rucksack. He was subsequently identified and has been charged with that burglary and is before the courts. So good work there in Thurless. OK, a number of arrests made then in relation to or, or by the Thurless Roads Policing Unit over the Christmas period. That's right. And again, we would be on high alert for lifesaver offences across Tipperary County and Thurless Roads Policing Unit carried out a lot of proactive checkpoints over the Christmas period. They made arrests including one on Christmas Day for somebody driving under the influence and the Guardian Kill and All carried out a number of speed checkpoints in the Ballinure area where complaints have been coming in and they have made some detections there and people will be prosecuted. It's that time of year, I suppose, again, where um, licensed firearm owners would be advised to, to make sure their licence everything's up to date. That's right. So the Guardian Thurless are requesting that all their licensed firearms holders take time this week to examine their licences. I beg your pardon, Alison. I'm That's just... okay. Do you want to take a minute there and I can um, just... Uh, but there is, there's warnings that any unlicensed firearms will be seized by members of the Gardaí and the licensee prosecuted and the message for across of Tipperary to make sure that the firearm is fully licensed and anyone with any queries are looking to see if their licence needs to be renewed or not they just need to contact their local Garda station for more details on it. I beg your pardon, yeah. No problem. Everyone is choked up over the Christmas period. <laughs> okay. We're going to move on to Clonmel now, um, into my own district. The drugs unit in Clonmel has been very busy over the past number of weeks and they've been supported by the Gardaí on the regular units here in Clonmel. On the 31st of December in the Clonmel district, the drugs unit searched a house under warrant and seized 
drugs to the value of €53,000 subject to analysis. And these contained cannabis edibles, cannabis oil, cannabis vape pens and some cash as well. So this is quite concerning and I think will be of interest to many parents out there. Mm. We're aware over the Christmas period that three young people were treated in Tipperary University Hospital. Two of them were very seriously ill and they were suspected of having ingested some cannabis edibles. So we'd like to make the listeners aware that these cannabis edibles are in circulation and worryingly they come in a jelly or gummy form. They're packaged in brightly coloured packaging and the concern is that they're obviously illegal. Mm. But number two, they're also could be eaten by unsuspecting young children as the packaging is quite attractive and looks very much like a packet of sweets. So as I said, there's been three teenagers in hospital here in Clonmel over the Christmas period and we believe that they've ingested these jellies and gums. And we're very, uh, we're very gravely ill. Thankfully, they've pulled through, but another child may not be so lucky. Absolutely. I suppose it's a good idea as well for parents <coughs> maybe to have a chat with uh, the young people in their lives and just maybe educate them, make them aware that these are things that are going around. And even though they might look innocent, they're not innocent. Absolutely. And, you know, these, these items, they're obviously illegal. They're totally unregulated. And no one person can tell the effect that it's going to have on their child. Absolutely. Now, I know we spoke um, with Fran uh, on the show um, previously about um, a robbery in Carrick and Shore, and you're still appealing for, for information on that, but arrests have been made in relation to it. That's right. So just as an update to people and the listeners there, back in October, we made an appeal about a man in his 50s having been robbed and assaulted in Carrick and Shore. That was on the 2nd of October last, and the man was knocked to the ground and assaulted and some money taken from him. So four arrests have been made in that robbery investigation and a file is being prepared in that matter for the DPP. Also busy in the district over the Christmas period. Um, how many people arrested for public order? In Clamel district we had 19 public order arrests and those were mainly uh, people that were drunk and abusive, threatening abusive and insulting behaviour on our streets. The vast majority of those will be going to court, but some will receive fixed charge notices and some who have never been in trouble before will be given an opportunity to be cautioned on the matter. OK. Um, Clamel also hit by a number of burglaries over Clamel. Um, there's one on the Mountain Road you're investigating. That's right, Alison. On the Overnight on the 16th into the 17th of December, a shed was broken into on the Mountain Road area of Clonmel. And again, a number of gardening items were stolen, including a strimmer, power washer, leaf blower and lawnmower. Any information around these items being offered for sale or any information around this burglary, we'd ask the listeners please to contact us here in Clonmel. And unfortunately, to, to finish off the slot for this week, um, vandalism and damage to a couple of Christmas displays, one in Carrick. That's First right. Carrick. So the Guardian Carrick are investigating damage to the crib which is an outdoor crib at the front of St. Nicholas's Church on William Street. The front of the crib is gated and somebody seems to have climbed over the gate and broke one of the statues wow. overnight on New Year's night. So we're very interested in information to solve that one. 
and Tipperary County Council have a number of beautiful Christmas bauble displays. A lot of people, you would have taken pictures underneath them over the Christmas period and that was damaged on Mitchell Street in Clonmel and we're appealing for witnesses to that. Okay, Margaret, thanks for joining us. All the best and Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year, Alison. All the best. Thanks, Margaret. Uh, that's Margaret Kelly there, Sergeant in charge of Clonmel Garda Station. You can keep those texts coming in to us 083 311 Or Emma is standing by on the phone 1800-938-007. We're back after this. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie We spoke to Councillor Shami Morris this morning about the dire situation in UHL and for staff and patients who are attending there. Just in case you're worried that the Health Minister Stephen Donnelly isn't addressing it, well be rest assured because he tweeted this morning that he visited the emergency departments. Hear this in St. Vincent's and Beaumont in Dublin to meet staff and assure them that everything that can be done is being done and acknowledge the enormous distress for patients and staff. He also says he'll update Cabinet on the situation this morning. Now, you think he would go to the hospital that's very well known to be at crisis point at this stage, and that's in Limerick. But no, he went to to Beaumont and St. Vincent's. And going by the figures, they're not two hospitals that are really suffering in terms of trolley numbers. But there you go. I hope that gives you some reassurance. Let us know what you think. 83 Now it's time for our monthly Hidden Histories with our historian, Dr. Conor Reedy. Irish society has long been shaped by systems of land ownership. Land was the main source of wealth in the country prior to the famine and continued to be so after it ended. The land was largely rented by Protestant landlords to Catholic tenants. Their holdings were often very small and it wasn't unusual for the tenant farmers to have only two or three acres of land. One in four Irish tenants had farms that were only 1.5 to 2 hectares in size. This group and their families made up most of the population. By some measurements, over one half of the nation were subsistence farmers. Any chance event could ruin a tenant farmer and his family, reducing them to penury and starvation. Another issue in Ireland was that often when a tenant died, they divided their lands among all their children. This was an age-old Gaelic tradition. However, this practice of subdivision meant that, over time, the holdings of the Irish cottiers was reduced in size each generation. There was not enough for them to produce anything other than potatoes. This meant they could not produce food for the market and their farms were used simply to provide for their own food for the year, if they were lucky. Such was the hunger for land that more and more marginal land came into use such as in hilly and upland areas. Before the famine, an official British government report indicated that poverty was endemic, that some one-third of all Irish farmers could not support their families after paying their rent. Most of the poor lived in one- or two-roomed cabins. Despite this and other reports, nothing was done to change the situation. 
and the Irish poor continued to live in the shadow of famine and in wretched poverty. There was a large labouring class, which was often landless, and would often wander the country looking for work, especially at harvest time. Many would migrate to England and Scotland during harvest time, and here they would earn wages. Those wages often helped them and their families to avoid starvation during the winter. They made up to one quarter of the population. Many labourers often relied on what they could grow in a small garden or acre of land to survive during the periods when they were not working. They would work on the landlord's own land and other farms to pay the rent. Many Irish peasants lived in a form of feudal dependency on landlords and largely lived in a barter economy. Any cash money they earned would usually be given to their landlords to pay their rents. They would swap their surplus of potatoes if they had any to purchase necessities, items such as utensils in the local markets. Many Irish families were self-sufficient and women and men often made everything that they needed. The main fuel of the Irish was peat, which was dug from many of the bogs across the island. There was also a very large class of desperately poor people who wandered the country begging. The towns and the cities were large and growing, but by and large Ireland was an agrarian society. Ireland was not industrialising like England and Scotland, and indeed prior to the famine, and this meant that the surplus population in the countryside could move to the towns and cities for work. Poverty was not confined to rural Ireland. In urban centres there was widespread poverty, even by the standards of the time. And in Dublin and elsewhere, this poverty was deemed to be greater than in Indian cities. There were many successful merchants and agents for landlords who composed the middle class. But this class was relatively small. Most people lived on the verge of disaster. This led to a great deal of agrarian unrest and there were many secret societies in the country, such as the Ribbonmen, who violently attacked the landlords and their agents. Murder, intimidation and arson were very common in rural Ireland as secret societies sought better terms for the poor tenants. Ireland was a very violent society, you've heard me say this many times. And many in the British government believed that the island was on the verge of outright rebellion in the years prior to the famine. It is that violence that accompanied all things land-related that forms the backdrop to this month's Tipperary's Hidden History. The first half of the 19th century saw few agricultural seasons that did not experience an agrarian disturbance of some kind. In January 1848, Pat Gleeson appeared before the magistrates of the Nina Petty Sessions. Gleeson was described as, and I quote, well-looking and rather respectably clad, with his head bound up in a red handkerchief, unquote. Pat Gleeson took a case against Malachy, Cornelius and Hugh Maloney, as well as John Hickey, for assault. Gleeson testified that on the night of the 11th of December, the previous month, he was travelling to Limerick with his brother, who was about to make an onward voyage to America. The Gleeson brothers were part of a party of around 20 people, including their sister, all present apparently to accompany one of the brothers to begin his emigration journey. Somewhere near Kilpartine, the group encountered Malachy Maloney, Michael Maloney, Cornelius Maloney and John Hickey. Two of the Maloney brothers were carrying guns and so 10 or 15 of the Gleeson party absconded from the scene toward the nearest river. Shouts of murder rang out through the dark night. Pat Gleeson claimed that, without any provocation, Malachy Maloney caught his blunderbuss by the barrel and struck him on the head, fracturing his skull. Gleeson staggered, but did not hit the ground. 
Cornelius Maloney also struck him on the head with the same weapon. The older brother, Michael, shouted, but he did not physically do anything. John Hickey from Yahal, who was also present, and he hit the victim with some sort of implement. Gleason could not tell what sort of weapon Hickey used because his eyes were now full of blood from the original blows. In court, Gleason pointed out that his wounds were suffered on his temple and the crown of his head. He claimed that his attackers were all the worse for alcohol. Under cross-examination, Pat Gleason confirmed that his landlord was Councillor O'Dwyer. He had been renting seven acres from O'Dwyer at Kilpartine, but was evicted by the sheriff three weeks before the incident. He revealed that Malachy Maloney was O'Dwyer's caretaker. He was put in charge of the land after Gleason's eviction. Gleason had now relocated to Lahorna, some eight miles away from the former holding. While he was back to the land to take back some sheaves, which he claimed were his own property, he swore he did not attempt to work the land after his eviction. The defence tried to claim that Gleason and his party were on the land and therefore trespassing when the attack took place. This would have justified the attack. Gleason rejected this, claiming that they were on the road when the attack happened. Constable O'Hara, who had been dealing with the case, testified that Gleason came to him that night and his story tallied with everything he had just testified. He also revealed that the Maloney's held the incorrect licence for their blunderbuss. He described the Maloney family as being impudent to him. And one thing you didn't do in 19th century Ireland was be impudent to a police constable. At one point during the proceeding, Malachy Maloney shouted up from the audience in the court that he, and I quote, told the constable that Gleason caught me by the breast and chuckled me, unquote. I have to admit I'm not sure what he means by he chuckled me. We'll have to leave that to our imaginations. Constable O'Hara outrightly denied that this was ever mentioned to him. The magistrates of the petty sessions were generally very content that the case against the Maloney's and Hickey's was proven. It appears they were swayed by the evidence of Constable O'Hara. Even though this was an armed attack, where one of the victims suffered a fractured skull, Malachy Maloney and John Hickey were fined a pound or a month's imprisonment. A prosecution lawyer pointed out to the defendants, and I quote, You may well praise the clemency of the British law for that sentence. If you were sent to the Assizes, you would certainly be transported, unquote. As the defendants left the court, they were stopped by Constable O'Hara, who realised that they'd not paid their fine. A prosecutor admonished him. What are you doing, O'Hara? You seem overzealous in this case. You shall wait for orders. And so, as if to add insult to injury, the magistrates on the bench had a further hushed tones discussion and reduced the fine to ten shillings each and gave the convicted men a week to pay. The shortage of land coupled with a high demand was a dominant theme of life in Irish society after 1800. Land was essential for survival, particularly the type of land on which you could grow potatoes. This goes some way to explaining why so many families who were lucky enough to hold some land did everything they had to do to hold on to their holding. The swift growth of the population from the closing decades of the 18th century gave rise to what was known as a land hunger. As we know only too well, the ultimate owners of that land were aware of their advantageous position and they never hesitated to exploit that strength. The result was that a whole network of middlemen emerged between the landlords and those who ultimately worked the land. You had agents, you had bailiffs, you had caretakers, you name it. Essentially, that's where the Maloney brothers and John Hickey enter today's story. 
they perfectly fit the role of those middlemen. And those so-called middlemen were not always wealthy themselves. Sometimes they took over the lease on a piece of land for a low rent, only to rent it out at a much higher figure to the poorer farmers or families. Sometimes they were just ordinary farm labourers themselves who were in the pay of a local landlord having connived their way into his favour and were, as a result, happy to do his so-called dirty work. It was worth their while economically to turn on their own class in this way. What's important to remember here is that while today's story of how the Maloney brothers and Hickey attacked Pat Gleeson is of obvious local interest to us all, in the context of 19th century Ireland, it is unremarkable, nothing special. Incidents like this one were ten a penny. The history of every agricultural region across the island of Ireland during the 1800s is infused with tales of complex agri-commercial relationships, scheming and manoeuvrings that somehow ended in violence, or as often as not, in court. At the heart of it all was layer upon layer of exploitation, the landowning class held all the aces. They held the balance of power and used others to assist in the persecution, exploitation and impoverishment of those at the bottom rung of the ladder, the poorest of the farming classes. So whatever happened to Pat Gleeson and his attempts to maintain a small holding at Kilpartine? Did he resolve his differences with his attackers? Did he come to terms with his landlord? The reality is, as in thousands of cases across the country, the drama probably continued for all parties. The truth, however, remains part of Tipperary's hidden history. And our thanks, as always, to Dr. Connor Reedy for the latest Tipperary's Hidden Histories. And for the best of Tipperary's Hidden Histories, you can visit www.tipperaryshiddenhistory.com to hear all of the latest episodes. Uh, Dr. Connor Reedy has just tweeted, actually, in the last hour. We spoke to Shami Morris this morning, um, who informed us that there is a HICWA inspection taking place at University Hospital Limerick this morning. Now, the Midwest Hospital campaign have learned that the ED waiting room, the emergency department waiting room, is currently empty this morning. There's not an ambulance in sight at Limerick today. The hygiene team worked all night to clean the emergency department and patients on trolleys have now been relocated right across the hospital. So it makes you wonder, Hickwell obviously will not get a, a true picture of what's really happening in Limerick because it seems the decks are being cleared there this morning. We also got a, a very frightening account from someone who attended that hospital in recent days and just to bring you some of what they told us they said I was a patient at UHL and on oxygen with a head injury and a broken foot a lot of chronic medical conditions and for over an hour I was threatened by an unstable patient there he had a lighter and kept flickering it at me and then lit a cigarette and threatened to set me on fire his trolley was so close to mine there was no way to get help thank God he stumbled and I got my chance to scream and run they put me on a chair and he remained on the trolley he went on to try and drag an 80 year old by the legs off her trolley security was called eventually and the guards it was horrendous in there and 
that's just from one listener this morning. Let us know if you've had recent experiences there. We're hoping to, to speak to this person tomorrow about their experience and we'd love to hear yours as well. 1800 or text or WhatsApp 083 Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to Tip Today. In relation to the hospitals issue, a listener says, yes, politicians have made a mess of the HSE, no doubt, but unions for nurses and admin and other HSE staff have not helped all of the time. I've seen cases where some nursing staff have made the most of their working conditions at times, to put it mildly. Most worked hard during the pandemic, but reaped rewards in many ways for it, financial and otherwise. I had an appointment recently and watched some hospital staff sitting and chatting, having tea and biscuits for about an hour before then going for their lunch break, hiding in the annex. Has to be improved on both sides. That's from one listener this morning. Text or WhatsApp 083 311 Keep those texts coming in to us. Now, we all remember our own school Debs back in the day, and the chances are that your Debs or grads or whatever you call it were your first formal adult date. All the memories of your teens might come flooding back to you now, the organisation, the style involved, as well as the task of trying to find someone to go to the Debs with you, which was, uh, I suppose for many of us, was a hard task in itself. And of course, those horrible, horrible family photos and the cringy dancing. Well, there's a really exciting and great new exhibition at Nina Arts Centre, and they're collaborating with the public to capture the unique memories, mementos, styles and cultural significance of the Irish Debs. The exhibition is curated by artist in residence Sarah Thornton and she joins me on the line now. Sarah, good morning. Hi, good morning. Good to talk to you this morning, Sarah. Thanks for joining us. Now, you took some inspiration for this exhibition from the Dior Gallery in Paris, I understand. Is that right? That's right. That was kind of the starting point for it. Um, I was in Paris this summer and went to visit the Dior Gallery and was so bowled over by the beauty and the, the style of it and the glass staircase there just reminded me of Nina Arts Centre and I just had this crazy thought you know wouldn't it be beautiful to bring all of this magic and loveliness to Nina yeah Uh, far from a Dior gallery a lot of Debs would be though here True enough. Although you want to see some of the dresses that we've got in. I think what was interesting to me was to kind of capture that beauty and style of Dior, but really reimagine it for the Midlands and for the kind of style and culture and ideas that come from the people here. The Debs is quite unique, isn't it? I think the only thing you can really compare it with is the prom in America. I think that's probably where it came from initially, was it? We think so. 
So, although what's been really interesting is that there's so little written about it. So I've been working with Tipperary Museum of Hidden History and I've done lots of outreach workshops and research itself and there's very little there. Um, we see, we think it's come from the American prom, but there were various... The, there was the debutante thing in England, yeah. which um, I think was an influence as well. But the Irish one is definitely taken on. It's a very unique form. Do we know when the Debs started here? The first one we have a record of from our research is about 1977. Right. And that's a, a woman living in Tipperary, but her Debs was in Dublin. Okay. We think that they kind of came down the country probably in the 80s. Um, so that doesn't seem to me very long ago now. No, not really. to, the, to the young ones, it is. It's a, you know, it's a 50 year history at this and I, stage. I, I presume the style of the Debs is very reminiscent of its own time, is it? Yeah, yeah. And still, the, the format of the Debs is very like it was. The stories we're hearing from people throughout the years it's that getting ready with your friends or going out, having the pre drinks, going for the dinner staying out all night, getting the breakfast, you know, home on the bus at six in the morning. Um, so the format stays the same. But we've got these wonderful stories. And we've spoken to people, um, say, in Ashlawn nurse, Nursing Home. We did a lovely workshop out there. And they were telling us what the rites of passage were before the Debs. So we're trying to incorporate that and those stories as well. Did they have something similar? They had a, a range of different things. They had like dinner dances and leaving dances, but a lot of, for a lot of them, it was the leaving school and getting the first job. Mm. That was the kind of main rite of passage. Um, but we had quite a lot of ladies talking about their first experience of getting their gown, their first gown, or the men, their first suit. So a lot of it is still connected to clothes. Yeah. But we got we got a great story from one lady who remembered her first long gown was midnight blue and a heart-shaped neckline and she used to write the Debs um, or to the to the dances sorry on the handlebars of her fella's bike oh, <laughs> she used to hoosh the long skirt up to keep it out of the mud so we've lots of lovely stories like that and do you, you're looking for dresses, I think, for it. Are you, are you well, surprised by how many women have held on to dresses? I am absolutely bowled over. Uh, what's been very interesting, actually, is that there's very little coming in from the men. It seems that the men predominantly higher, um, whereas the women have traditionally bought. Yeah. And it's amazing. A lot of women my age in their 50s, you know, still have them shoved under the bed. Or, you know. Yeah, I, th I got rid of mine a few years ago. And I'm sorry I did now. I'm sorry you did. We could yeah. have had it in there. Damn it, anyway. Well, <laughs> do you know what, what's interesting too, when you look at Debs now compared to what they were, and you spoke about men's fashion and how yeah. men traditionally would have rented tuxes, but yeah. now the, the boys really get into it now, don't they? They do. They do much more. And we actually have a couple of suits from younger men um, in the exhibition. So we're kind of seeing what their style is now. And that's interesting because you look back at the pictures from the 80s and 90s and all the fellas look the same. They're just all in black suits, 
black ties, whereas now there's a lot more kind of range and variety. And I wonder as well, is it still a case, I remember in my day, the, the boy had to match the girl. So whether it was a tie <laughs> or whatever, is that still the case? Some of them do still do that, but it doesn't seem to be an official thing, you know. Yeah. Um, what we are seeing as well is a lot more girls going on their own, boys going on their own, going in groups. It is great. And that's, I think, one of the things that's come out from the stories from previous times is that it was much more difficult you know if you didn't have a date or if you if you were gay you mm. couldn't take your partner so you know there's a lot of changes now I, I mean there's no end in sight to the Debs it's not something that's going no. away anytime soon is it it's not and you know you talk to the young ones who miss their Debs because of the pandemic yeah. you know we're going to have a special little section for dresses that were never worn oh lovely yeah and they were so sad to have missed that moment and you know talking to the ones who've had it just last year they really appreciate that last chance to come together you know a lot of them have called it like a last hurrah you know well it is like that a lot of them mightn't see each other again like obviously with your close friends you would keep contact with but other people in your year you probably might never see again that's it. And I think it really is special, you know, because it's got that history and heritage and the mums get so involved as well. You know, it's it's a real kind of yeah. family history, a cultural tradition that really resonates with people still. I always wonder, do the, the mums of the boys always fare less than the girls? Because the girls, it's always this lovely tradition of going to get the dress yeah. and then getting ready and getting your hair done, whereas the boys, yeah. it's just gelling the hair and the suit on and drop me to forever. Well, do you know, actually, the reason that it came to me to use the Debs as a medium for this Dior idea was because my son attended his girlfriend's Debs this summer just gone Mm. and I had the lovely privilege of going with him to buy his first suit and you know watch that oh just that transformation you know they really become Um, men don't they at that point they really do and you could see him I mean he's six foot two but you could he was like growing to six foot five once he put the suit on you know did you have a Debs yourself Sarah I didn't and that's part of it as well I'm so envious (laughs) in England where I grew up um, we didn't have them then unless you were really really posh (laughs) and you got a debutante ball so there's nothing nothing. like that in England no no well they're starting now I believe to do more like a prom like thing but certainly that's only the last few years Mm. so tell me about this exhibition then what are you looking for for people to to contribute towards it (sighs) Well, the exhibition is starting in a fortnight. So over the last few months, we've been putting calls out for various things. Because one of the things that's important about it is that the exhibition will kind of show what a community can do when they pull together, when they pull things out from under their bed, or, you know, what we can make that's incredible, that doesn't cost very much money. It's, you know, about community engagement 
So um, what we're still looking for now, um, we're looking for photos. That's a really big thing. So anybody who has photos of their devs or their grad, either if it happened in the Midlands or if they're living in the Midlands now, I don't care how grainy or old, <laughs> um, we just want as many photos as we can. Okay. Um, we're also looking for models because on the night of the uh, launch of the exhibition, there's going to be a fashion parade, which will be um, using dresses from local designers, temporary, ba to, uh, temporary artists who are now living elsewhere, and also hopeful some of the higher shops to kind of demonstrate a more environmentally sustainable approach. And we're looking for local, local people. You don't have to have any experience of modelling, all shapes, sizes, ages. You'll get your makeup and your hair done. You get to wear a fabulous frock for the night um, and have a lovely time. It's like doing so it all over again. Exactly. Yeah. And for those poor ones who never got a chance to do it. Yeah. Um, or, you know, if you're 80 and you feel like putting a posh frock on, we'd love to have you. So there are two things. And then the final thing that we're still looking for, we've extended the deadline for our floral competition. So we've tried to involve as many people in as many different ways. And we were keen to reach out into the craft community, the floristry community. So we're inviting um we're doing a free floral competition, which is going to be judged by Richard Haslam. And um, we'll be displaying all of the entries on one of the walls as part of the exhibition throughout. So is that like so, the corsages, that kind of a thing? Well, they, we're, actually, we're going to be given free corsages out oh, on, the, on the night of the launch. Brilliant. Uh, yeah, but um, this you can enter a corsage. The detail, you can ha enter anything up to three foot by 32 inches nice. as long as it will hang on a wall. Um, and we, we, you have to register that by Friday. So really we're looking for all this stuff now in the last few days of this week. Yeah. Um, and people could get in touch either by any of the Nina Arts Centre social media, you can contact us, or email marketingpr at ninaarts.com. Okay, and we'll keep all those details here for anyone who's uh, looking for those. The exhibition itself then, when is that taking place? That's going to start, uh, well, we have a launch on the 13th of January, but that's going to be invites for people who've been involved in creating the whole thing. And then it will open the following day, the 14th of January, and run for a month. Oh, fantastic. But do you know what? I might head up to see that. I'd be really interested. Really oh, nostalgic. I'm sure we can, yeah, I'm sure we can sort you out an invite for uh, the opening. Then come along much. and get your free corsage. Sarah, we wish you all the best with it. I'm sure it's going to be a huge success and thanks Thank so much for you. telling us about it. Thank you for having me on. Thanks Goodbye. Sarah, that's uh, Sarah Thornton there from Nina Arts Centre. I'd be interested to hear your memories, good or bad from your Debs. I'm sure you have both, we all have both when it comes to the Debs. Just to bring you one, a listener says 
I remember my friend accompanying a family friend to his Rockwell Debs in the 80s and she had to wear a white dress. Oh my God, a white dress at your Debs that they came home black. But we'd love to hear your own stories and maybe send us a couple of pictures even if you have them as well and we could send them on to Sarah. Uh, dig them out. I'm sure you get a good laugh off them now at this stage depending on how long it's been. That's it from us for today. A big thanks to all our callers and contributors and texters today. Uh, Emma as well for producing today's show. I'm back with you again tomorrow morning from 9am. Stephen is up next with the Lunchtime Show. Until then, have a great day. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.